0: Stay. Yeah. making my view making reveal. view so 6 6 5 5
1: 4 3 2 1
0: hello and welcome to another episode of rank and review I am your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons, and you've found your way to an interesting one this week, you guys. Regular guest Jason DuBray is returning, but we're not going to be talking about horror or fantasy or science fiction. We're going to be talking about six films from prolific and infamous and famous writer-director Woody Allen. I've been watching these movies over a period of months, and, uh... I don't know, it, I don't think it's changed my mind about Woody Allen, but the episode turned out to be less of a fight than I expected, because I know Mr. DuBray is a big fan of Woody Allen, but I think largely we came out of an agreement here, so a little bit of a different episode, please let me know what you think by writing me at rankandreview at gmail.com, that's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com, please tell your friends about Rank and Review, And if you enjoy this podcast, I bet you would enjoy Cobwebs, a gothic horror podcast, and I bet you would also enjoy the Terror Table podcast. And this particular episode, we're going to introduce you to a third podcast that you might want to consider checking out. I hope you enjoy this episode on Woody Allen. Let's do it. Oh right, and the usual spoilers and swears. I always forget, but spoilers and swears, kids. I mean, we're 160 episodes in at this point. I mean, you get the rules. Uh, Jason Dubray is back on my show. Uh, And before we get to the meat and potatoes of the episode, and we'll have an interesting discussion about Mr. Woody Allen. I don't even know the name of your new podcast. I'm ashamed to admit. Uh,
1: No, uh, it's called the Shelf Shedding Movie Show. Okay. For something alliterative there. And uh, it's... I, I lose a movie from my movie collection at the end of each show. I have a guest on and we typically review six movies and then we give points to them and whichever one has the least number of points, I have to sacrifice. My guest decides what to do with them. So, oh, so
0: I don't just get to crib your your, your ace in the whole Jeff Bridges movie. I don't just get to pick it. Well, somebody
1: did. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> I, I don't think it was an... Uh, it was the third episode, uh, and I don't know if by the time we get to this, if it will be released or not. But mm-hmm. in the third episode, I th- the movie at the bottom was not necessarily one that I thought would be, nor my guest. Well, and I, I promise I will so, catch up on the on the show, but I definitely wanted you to plug yeah. it because uh, no no longer just a guest, now a fellow podcaster. Well, and it's it's almost like you 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 have fathered another podcast <laughs> because. I really was not into podcasts until I started doing this, and uh, and I love, I mean, I love, love listening to your show. Oh, thanks. And I you. haven't, I, I'm going in reverse order to get caught up, so I'm in the 40s now okay. with the episodes. you I just out. heard you, like, rip Kill Bill apart in, <laughs> the other day. <laughs> and you were just getting mad. <laughs> a little bit, and I, I'm not as big a Kill Bill fan as, as so. some of the others, but uh, I was just like, really? Really? You know, it was separate things that it was Susie. Was, yeah. Yeah. Susie, yeah. yeah who, who, I don't think I've ever met Susie, but uh, I'm now very familiar with her voice and her opinions. But <laughs> I was just like, there were different things that you're saying that were uh, so that's annoying scary. me a little bit. And I'm like, why am I getting passionate about this? This isn't <laughs> Pulp Fiction or, or Django Unchained or even Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Tarantino movies that I just love. You're not reason. always
0: going to agree, but yeah. I usually think that that means you're engaged with the podcast. Yeah. And a lot of times it's boring just to listen to somebody and nod and agree and just say, yep, yeah, mm-hmm. yep,
1: yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. But <laughs> typically, I mean, I know I have the reputation for fighting with you, and, right. and it's, listeners probably think we have like opposite tastes in movies. I agree with you more often than not yeah just every now and then we have a sort of a David just, Lynch thing he, or David Lynch or just specific actors or something I just I don't know just be careful what I say or there's Julie something Moore. in the caffeine you give me just <laughs> this is how you break thing there's no Julian
0: Moore there's no Tom Cruise I think we're relatively safe okay and
1: I'm not a huge Tom Cruise fan it's just that So, save one more time for me, sorry. The Shelf Shedding Movie Show. Shelf Shedding Movie Show. I promise I will listen to it, brother. Requires better enunciation (laughs) than I have at times used on this podcast going back and listening.
0: Well, look, we've got uh, other brother and sister podcasts, you know, of course, the Terror Table podcast. And then we have Cobwebs, the Gothic Cinema podcast, who I just made a connection to, an American podcast. I I just
1: listened to that episode today, and uh, really interesting episode. Thank you. And I love both of your opinions. (laughs) it was funny. I was, I was glad a couple movies that I, I sort of like as guilty pleasures were championed on that show, Sleepwalkers. Sleep. Number one. of well, it. I still yeah. can't believe that. I, that was, can't believe I, you were, I could hear you were blown away, but I was just, I'm just happy some <laughs> other people in the world love Sleepwalkers. So Love is three a of strong
0: us. world. Uh, but it's funny that you say that. Like I kind of uh, should you into doing the podcast. I still, on occasion, listen to a Chicago based podcast called Film Spotting. And I remember years and years ago, I was listening to the podcast at work, and I would get so pissed off because they were so dismissive of the horror genre. Mm. Uh, they had a lot of great things to say about a lot of other movies, but mm. the horror genre—you could just feel the light behind their eyes die when they talked about it—and it just pissed me off. And it pissed me off so much that I thought I should never should make my own fucking podcast. So yeah. really, this is all there for.
1: Okay. <laughs> Podcasts, we get podcasts. Well, my mind came from a place of love because yes. I was. This is so much fun coming on here two, three times a year.
0: Oh, and don't misunderstand me; I still like film spotting, and yeah, they've, yeah. The, their hosts have recycled a few times too. So they've, they've come a long way in that mm-hmm. respect. But I, me wanting a, a film or a podcast of respected genre was yeah. sort of one of the things that did it. Yeah. But we should get around to Woody Allen. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I believe you told me that you have, like, a physical copy of, like, almost all of his movies.
1: Every movie, except, obviously, for A Rainy Day in New York, which uh, Amazon has held hostage. That's right. uh, So that's a lot of fucking movies.
0: That's, like, yes. 50-some movies at this point. Mm-hmm. He's incredibly prolific. I remember going through a brief Woody Allen phase in like university days when I used to rent movies from the library yeah. and I had this is the classic Woody Allen thing much more of an affinity for the early crazier Woody Allen movies like okay. the bananas and mm-hmm. like the, <laughs> the almost absurdist silent film or crazy he was almost like Charlie Kaufman-esque the way he was always breaking the reality of yeah. his own cinematic universe and stuff like this
1: that's why people I think showed up Uh, like the top people showed up for his movies in the early days because he was doing something different than other filmmakers.
0: And he's one of the few writers, and I say this because I'm going to say some negative things later on, but I say this as a complete compliment. I remember reading a couple of his books of essays and actually laughing out loud just reading the words off of the page. And that's a rare thing for me. Like a book will make me smile or make me chortle even, but to laugh out loud while I'm reading a book that... That is impressive to me. Mm -hmm. So I would never say that Woody Allen is untalented. Mm -hmm. What I will say is that he has a very specific aesthetic Mm -hmm. that he comes back to again and again and again and again. And other artists do this and that. That's fine. Um, But as far as just heaping the unending praise on Woody Allen, I think that you or I, with our knowledge of film and with the ability to surround ourselves with the best people technically involved in film and any fucking cast we want, mm-hmm. if we were allowed to make a movie a year for forty-five years, yeah. we would make some great fucking movies. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Yeah, I think so. I believe that. So, like, just he's been given the just the golden path, the the golden ticket through Hollywood. The whole his whole career. Woody, you can do whatever you want, whenever you want. There's always going to be another Woody Allen movie, and it's always going to be 100% yours, unfucked with. And all of his movies are about privileged people bitching about how bad they got it. And yes. largely his public persona is him bitching
1: about how tough he's got it. But you could argue of other filmmakers like Wes Anderson. Hmm? Wes Anderson deals with privileged people I mean, even more yeah. privileged than the Woody Allen characters it's, but it's interesting too because when we get,
0: especially get to around to talking about deconstructing Harry mm-hmm. uh, or the mentality behind, I, and I really like Blue Jasmine, I'm going to say a lot of positive things about yeah. Blue Jasmine she's a despicable character <laughs> and a lot of the protagonists mm-hmm. in a lot of even these movies some of them quite quote like comedies are not likable characters and no. I don't know if Woody Allen likes them or if we're supposed to like them, but here's a few things you can come to expect if you're going to see a Woody Allen movie. There are exceptions, but you're going to hear a retro blues, jazz, or, you know, a yeah. sort of big band soundtrack. You're going to have a crazy A-list and a current cast. Mm-hmm. Most of them are not going to be used.
1: Well, yeah, considering it, it, it depends. the considering the level name, you know, depends on the specific movie and what role he has. But he's able to right get uh, for his secondary and uh, one scene characters. He can get some pretty A list talent. In
0: deconstructing Harry, for instance, he got Toby Maguire to do that little ten minute vignette, and yeah. Toby Maguire just started being this in his Spider Man phase. He was about as big as he, he was ever before movie. that. He was before that. Well, he. Again, it was a big name to yeah. get for a small part, and mm-hmm. his movies
1: are full of that. You don't need that big a star for that small a part. It, I, I, I just don't think, in, in 1997, he wasn't that big a star. He was an up-and-coming actor. I, I think The Ice Storm, maybe, was this, this uh, the closest film. The I forget if that was the same. I think 97 maybe it was the same year. The yeah. Ice Storm, people there other he cases was a face at that point. He wasn't Spider-Man quite yet. There are other cases of this. Yeah.
0: Like uh, Eric Boghossian in in, in deconstructing character. Burt Harry Reynolds in... Definitely Burt Reynolds. Reynolds. He was a big <laughs> in, in, movie star in the 70s. And, and he's me. barely in the movie. He's yeah. there just so he can say in a lot of ways... I was that, in a Woody uh, Allen movie. Well, yeah. yeah. For the actors to say, I'm in a Woody Allen movie, and for Woody Allen to add yet another star to the poster. Mm-hmm. So, I mean... I like Woody Allen, but like I, I think he's in an, a uniquely privileged position. He's always been in a uniquely privileged position. I can't think of any other filmmaker who's gotten this much of a like carte blanche. Any
1: cast, any location. Quentin Tarantino. You want. I guess. He's not as prolific, but I suppose if we wanted to not a to movie be. a year. Scorsese, I think, could have anybody he wants in his movie. If they wanted they to do it. They built up to it.
0: But, if they wanted to do it, maybe they could. But, like, I don't know. For every truly great movie he's made, and to his credit, he's made some really great mm-hmm. movies. He's made movies that I forgot that I watched, yeah. to be honest. And these aren't movies that even some of the ones that I like aren't movies that I return to. Like i my whole podcast is fantasy, horror, and science mm-hmm. fiction. This is really a deviation from mm-hmm. yes. that today. Not that I hate Woody Allen, but this is not my bread and butter. Yeah. So, and you'll probably notice that when we're talking about it as well so as good as I think he is I think a case could be made that he's a little, maybe a little bit overrated people bow to the altar of Woody Allen people fight to be in his next film people defend him and there's some hard stuff to defend <laughs> and again we, we want to get church and state about you know the controversy of his real life as opposed to you know the art that he throws on the screen mm-hmm. uh, because the whole podcast could be bogged down anyway good. that's my opening no. salvo I like Woody Allen. I want to like him more. I think he's dangerously close to being called overrated, at least at this point.
1: I, I just think if you make one movie a year from, I don't know what it was, 1968... Something like that. ...to 2017, you're going to have some winners, you're going to have some losers. I, I and Even the losers, I don't think he make, can make an un- uninteresting film. You know, I really can't, don't think he's made an uninteresting film. He does go back to because he just the amount of uh, films he's made. He does go back to some conventions over and over again, but once in a while, when it, there's a slight deviation, you all of a sudden you're thinking, okay, Woody's you know running out of ideas, and then a match point happens, mm-hmm. or um,
0: Vicky, you're shooting in Barcelona. Yeah,
1: which I think was kind of built up from from match point. We started making some films in Europe. I, I, I almost haven't... want to break down his career into the movies you talked about that you kind of enjoy from the early part of his career are very juvenile. Yeah. You know, it's it's quite obvious for for somebody who um, has written so much about women, which is there's an irony in what's happening to him now, but uh, he, he did not, I feel, understand women that well and create strong female characters until Annie Hall happened. Then it was a shift into, you know, some... He has some serious movies in here. It's not all comedies his serious movies are dark and, and tears, powerful and yeah. bleak, you know. Um, and and then he, he kind of shifted into being, a, you know, a more serious filmmaker, creating better female roles. And that worked well. The 80s was the Mia Farrow phase, which uh, we kind of, I don't want to get too much into that. But, <laughs> um, you know, I still think there were interesting movies in there that not a lot of people see. In the middle of that is Hannah and her sister's. The '90s, he was really clicking because he had the tools of being very funny. Uh, spending, you know, about 15 years making, you know, slightly more uh, adult films with, I would argue, three-dimensional characters. Not all of them are three-dimensional, as you mentioned. There's a lot of supporting players, and he relies on ensemble casts for these movies. And then that got a little bit stagnant, and that's when he moved into the uh, European phase of things. And now we just Midnight in
0: Paris this was really good. I haven't seen that. Yeah,
1: I I really, really like Midnight in Paris. There's a there's a charm to it. Uh I if if somebody and I I totally get it because people either love Woody Allen or they hate Woody Allen. I would say the people who are not Woody Allen fans, you could watch Midnight in Paris just by itself and enjoy it. And I don't I don't think you're gonna be bothered by Allen or or anything Around him, there's just some of these movies that I think are now dismissed. You can't say that you like Woody Allen, and you get being accused of being a sympathizer for a <laughs> pedophile. He yeah. has not been convicted for any of these things. I don't know. The day he's convicted, I'm going to apologize. Oh. I will publicly apologize. Well, you but I feel like I'm wrong. defending him all the time. I'm not saying that they're all winners, right. and the list that that you made here, I cards on the table. I think there's, I'm not all that passionate about any one of the six. There are some in his canon that I am very passionate about, that okay. I might get more heated about. There's one in here that I feel it combines all of the stuff that I, I really love about Woody Allen. And the other ones are pretty good to in, upon revisiting, not so great. But I, I just I, I hate the idea that um, a new story can come out and that's going to stop somebody from being able to create. Yeah. Now, Woody doesn't care. He's he's probably still playing with his band every week in the same bar, uh, jazz club that he's played no in New York City happens, for 50 years.
0: <laughs> he's fine.
1: he he'll, he'll just accept it as it is. But for me, I, I want to be able to see this movie that was made. And I, I would like to see the projects that he had lined up in the future. And he he just had an endless number of ideas. There's a great documentary about Woody Allen on, the, on PBS. It was a two-part documentary, and you see his process. And it's a process, it's a blueprint for screenwriters, or any writer really, on how to avoid writer's block. I think that the writer's block business is a little bit of a crutch for some people. He just has, as he has an idea, he puts it in a jar, and then when it's time to make a movie, he pulls out the jar and he gets... Yeah, Gets like a kernel of an idea, and then he goes and he writes it. And then, you know, he works on the next screenplay while he's editing the previous film. And he just must have some sort of a discipline to be able to do that. I do respect the writing, and I've come to respect
0: the filmmaking. He's not a very obtrusive filmmaker visually. He's not flashy with the camera, but... I do sort of start to get that there is an aesthetic that I can attribute to Woody Allen. I don't see it being highly influential. I see it like his thing is specifically his thing. It's like, you know, you can try to, you you talked about Wes Anderson earlier. Mm -hmm. You can try to do your version of Wes Anderson, but it's not gonna be Wes Anderson. It's just not gonna be it. So for his individual voice, I respect it. But counterintuitively, I also say this, the deeper I got into this list, the more I was looking forward to the movies that did not have Woody
1: Allen in them yeah I know it's a, a normal criticism and Woody is not really much of an actor and he's, he's a said, stand-up comedian it's like when you, if you have Jerry Seinfeld in his show or in your movie Jerry Seinfeld's very good at playing Jerry Seinfeld Woody Allen is mostly good not always good mostly good at playing Woody Allen one of the movies we talk about, Woody in his script required him to play a bunch of different things and it's it's very distracting. Yeah. It's one upon revisiting that guy. I used to like that I I think I I hesitate to put thumbs down to any one of Woody's movies, but we have a couple on this list that I my Come thumb is, is down. Oh well, uh, there's a couple that my thumb are down. Yeah, yours is probably way, way <laughs> down, but
0: <laughs> um, but it's interesting. Woody himself First of all, you're right. He's not a great actor. He's fine at playing that stuttery nervous fella, as Ned Flanders called him on The Simpsons. (laughs) I like Woody Allen films. I just wish he didn't have all that nervous fella all the time. Um, But he surrounds himself with amazing actors, which doesn't help. And he always, well, I won't say always, but often casts himself against Hollywood's latest greatest love interest, okay? Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's gross to watch him make out with Elizabeth Shue a little bit and yeah it's kind of gross to watch his ass through his hand on the ass of Helen Mirren in the 70s thing and whatever the current popular hot actress is is likely going to be on his arm in one of these movies and I just get tired of seeing it if it happened in one or two of his movies okay but like he's always got an amazingly beautiful woman on his arm who is just in love with his brilliance. And, and that's
1: and that's what he gets criticized for small correction Vanessa Redgrave Helen Mirren oh sorry but Vanessa yeah, Redgrave no. you're right Easy. absolutely yeah. sorry
0: no, that's... Uh, thank you for that because yeah. I would listen to it after, and drive like, you nuts it would drive me fucking nuts because I know nuts.
1: I've already made mistakes <laughs> and then I'm editing the thing and I'm like oh my goodness how, how did I say that you know? but you yeah. know what I'm saying yeah. like it
0: just and I guess it's part of the problem is the, men, the amount of movies that he's been in Mm-hmm. but um, yeah I, 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 I found Sweet and Lowdown was kind of a breath of fresh air he's mm-hmm. only in the movie for like 40 seconds <laughs> you know and uh, that's kind of unkind but it's sort of yeah I stay behind the camera increasingly I, like, I'm like i more interested in, in, in how you're approaching the story and what this next screenplay is going to be into what your character is going to be complaining about just trying movie. to
1: see how many of the six he, he makes a, a, a cameo in one of them but Uh, Is not a big factor, so it's at least half or more than half of these. He's not. He's not in. Uh, We should probably get into the actual episode. I know that's a pretty prolonged introduction, but Uh, but I just want to get your sense on: should a filmmaker be stopped because of accusations? I am
0: never in the position of saying we should take the brush out of anybody's hand, any artist's hand. I'm never going to say no. You're not allowed to make art. Whether or not you want to distribute that person's art, that's your decision to make. I find it really hard to believe that nobody's going to be interested in distributing the next Woody Allen movie, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think he's going to be fine. And even if they shut him down somehow completely, he can write books and, you know, people can live with the 50 or 60 movies that his impressive filmography is But do I think that someone should be, you know, not allowed to exist in whatever chosen field they are because of some sort of personal misgiving or some sort of crime or some suggested crime? And
1: to me, it's still suggested.
0: Yeah. Well, there's some
1: stuff that's suggested. There's some stuff that's... There's some creepy stuff about Woody Allen. Mm -hmm. Is that fair to say? Yeah. And uh, if you you go back, and the same thing with Polanski, who I tend to be... uh, That's the other one. I get yelled at... And and they will go back to clips from Polanski's work and Woody Allen's work and say this is this is like shouting out to us that uh, he's you know a pedophile. In the case of Polanski, he was ac- he actually did
0: he, he did what he was accused of, uh, and Woody Allen did start a romance with the adopted daughter of his girlfriend. Was were they married or were they? They just were him? they were never married. Yeah, so it was never no, it was never his
1: I, daughter, as people say. No
0: i get it but it's, it's any, still like kind of a
1: by any sort of well, yeah yeah
0: dick move doesn't even quite say it right and respect like they're still together they're married like obvi- and you know his infamous slash famous remark the heart wants what it wants mm-hmm. is you know just speaks to this sort of spoiled child idea that i kind of mm-hmm. have of him sometimes mm-hmm. like. okay and I do think that, that this is a not something that's specific to Woody Allen. I think people can be too famous for too long, and it just yeah. it, it affects them mentally. Uh, some people it becomes about what are they not allowed to do, and they end up fucking having hosting dog fights or something in their backyard because they're crazy. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you know, other people is just like you know, if nothing will make me happy, to like let's let's strip the rules away. Maybe maybe the rules are what are making
1: me unhappy. And we're seeing more and more of that yeah and again the longer the longer
0: you're in that situation and the more that people you know blow smoke up your ass the the the
1: more your reality can become i just wonder if we find out there's a scandal about tom hanks tomorrow yeah exactly tom hanks entire career over yeah well and yeah john
0: wayne said terrible things so should we not watch john wayne movies no it's a ridiculous conceit it is it also abandons any kind of redemption arc too Like uh, like can a person not do something bad in their life at some point? Pay the price for it, Mm -hmm. you know. Serve their sentence or whatever. Lose their job,
1: but you know, (laughs) never be allowed to work anywhere again. Uh, Downey Jr. said something similar to that when he was talking about Mel Gibson. Yeah, Uh, let let Mel work again. Like what's Winona Ryder was a shoplifter. Yeah, now she's. like she stole and
0: she's like she was hollywood's it girl since the early 90s you you can't imagine that she lives in a world where she's hurting for money like she's stealing because she thinks it's fun or something like that but that's fine we Mm -hmm. can forgive her for that it was you know a bad moment that's Mm -hmm. just a little blip right in some other people's minds you know oh she's bad (laughs) fuck her and i know i'm not comparing shoplifting to what Woody Allen's accused of but yes it's what he's accused of mm-hmm. and yeah no I don't think you can throw someone's entire creative life under the bus no matter how fucked they are in their personality actually I think that's a theme of one of the movies we're going to talk about yep. in, in Sweet and Lowdown yeah um so we're 23 minutes in and we haven't started talking about a movie is there anything else you want to no, say no that's it let's like, we'll talk about the the sixth movie that we're watching thank you uh, yes we are going to talk about from 1972 everything you always wanted to know about sex but were afraid to ask we're going to talk from 1985 the purple rose of cairo um then we're going all the way to 1997 for deconstructing harry and then we are going to 99 i think is it 99 for sweet and lowdown thank you 1999 uh and then we're going for anything else which we're not 2003 and the last movie we're going to talk about is blue jasmine from 2013 so we're getting a pretty good big range of, yeah. uh, uh, of, yeah. of like where he's been and where he's been at uh i hope we're gonna i'm not i don't mean to talk shit about a guy that you, you're a fan of like i said i have liked a lot of Woody allen movies and i don't i, I don't rage against him or anything mm-hmm. like that it's just i've been let down enough times it's very rare for me to get excited about the next Woody Allen movie. You yeah. know what I mean? It's one of those things that I'll get around to. Like, I'll I, I, it'll show up on a Netflix queue, or I'll be, you know, someplace, and oh, yeah. okay, today's the day I'm watching.
1: Just more. My point is, just what level of censorship are we comfortable with? Yeah. Well, you know. I don't. I, I'm, I'm even uncomfortable. He, even with if it. you hated all of his movies, just. I hate. At Lars least get, von give Trier, him time.
0: and I hate. Well, I hate. Dave, I don't hate. Like, Dave yeah, Lynch, we.
1: But. Sorry, I, and you, I've been accused of this using the word. I, I'm a hyperbolic when I use the yeah. word hate on this show. I don't really hate a lot of movies, but or filmmakers. I dislike Lars
0: von Trier, yeah. but he can make as many fucking movies as he wants. Mm-hmm. Okay, like I like. Yeah. Please, please, mm-hmm. like I'm never gonna say no. Yui Boll, I despise Yui Boll, but mm-hmm. if he wants, to, if someone wants to keep giving him money. I am more offended by the existence of U.V. Bull than I am of the existence of Woody Allen. No, okay? fair enough. Let's start, because this is ridiculous.
1: <laughs> I am in love with a sheep.
0: I beg your pardon?
1: You have a very, very fascinating
0: fetish. That's what they call Maid Matthews and Johnson's clinic. Man. Because I had visions of explorations in sexual areas undreamed of by lesser human beings. It was I who first discovered how to make a man impotent by hiding his hat. I think it could work if we gave it a chance. Don't you think you should be ashamed of this? It's most distasteful in view of the fact that the sheep was under
1: 18 years old. So what? You've been a naughty rabbi. (laughs) Blasphemy!
0: Hey, we're gonna make babies! If you want to know how Woody Allen made a movie out of this book, you'll have to see the movie. Okay, everything you've always wanted to know about sex but were afraid to ask is not a very accurate or <laughs> in any way... <laughs> successful adaptation of the work that it's based off which is actually published in 68 by a legit doctor and was trying to give constructive medical advice in a frank and helpful way on subjects that were taboo the only reason i guess just the the provocative nature of the title and you know woody Allen. let's let's throw this both in a boat if i'd seen this before i'd forgotten it or or like i was so young that it just didn't make sense to me i didn't really fully understand it so part of the problem here jason is that i went in excited to see this movie (laughs) for a few (laughs) reasons because it's earlier sort of of the crazy fringier woody allen which tends to be the stuff that i connected to more just wanting to make me laugh and not you know no agenda really beyond that (laughs) any any kind of angle i can find that will make you laugh i will play that and I, I respect that approach especially in comedy you know be aggressive you're allowed to be over the top in comedy i think break all the rules you want in comedy as far as i'm concerned so i was excited about that and it's one of these performances that i would missed from gene wilder who yes, i love like great. I love Gene Wilder. And he's employing one of his greatest assets as a comedic performer is his use of silence and pregnant pauses. And and he is doing his Gene Wilder great. Like, he is, I think, awesome in the movie. But his little segment, much like every other little segment in this, is a one-joke premise. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, Woody Allen or no. This is an episode of Saturday Night Live, where each individual portion just goes on too long. As a five-minute sketch, and we move on to the next five-minute sketch, fine, but as 15 or 20 minutes, that we get the joke after the first two minutes. Mm -hmm. And if that was the case with one of the vignettes, or two of the vignettes, I would still play defense for the movie. But I kind of feel that way about all of them. Do you like one more than the other i mean i could pick favorites and least favorites i guess but like the the, the pie chart would be more or the the chart graphic would be more of a straight line than the peaks and valleys yeah. if you if you know what i'm yeah. saying i think that the first segment is easily my least favorite Woody Alanis, is a the, yeah. the jester and the chastity belt
1: yeah it's a medieval thing and We've already mentioned Vanessa Redgrave. Yeah, the Groucho Marx mugging to the camera
0: thing, which has been successful for me with Woody Allen in the past, just mm-hmm. wasn't working for me there. Not for this and one. And I Need the Latch to the clean Snatch is just not particularly funny. I don't think it was that funny then. It's considerably less funny now. And, again, that sort of uncomfortable, you know, I don't know, woody allen sort of involving himself sorry red Redgrave, not vanessa yes, Redgrave. now yeah, yeah driving me Lynn we're struggling with this name today well but anyway it, it, involving himself in a very sexual physical performance with yeah. at the time one of the most sexually desirable women in in, in the industry right and this yeah. is something that i like i said that will happen again and again that was the, it was just this movie's turn at least the the woman in the later vignette was actually his wife i guess at the time that he was working <laughs> so for the public sex scenes that we get yes
1: uh the fellini parody yeah, the, as yeah, I the, took it, yeah sort of making
0: fun of the 60s fellini film so yes largely what we have here is a disappointing anthology comedy thing like um and on top of it being a disappointing anthology comedy thing it kind of does an injustice because i think the intention of the original work was a really good noble thing you know <laughs> we need to be able to be unprudish about talking about sexuality there's yes. real dangers and there's real repercussions and uh, and if you could sort of present it in a way that you were entertaining and funny to sort of dilute the controversy of it it could have been a really valuable thing or it could have just been stupid and body and funny Pick one of those things. But for me, I was really let down. I mean, I will not say anything bad about Gene Wilder. I will never say anything bad about Gene Wilder. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, like, and it has its moments like most, you know, these anthology sketchy shows do. But it's short and it went on too long. There it is. That's, that's where I start. We're starting in a not great place with the yeah, Allen, but here. I am. Well, and
1: that's that's perfectly fine with me because this is my, <laughs> I believe, third time seeing this. And I don't know if it's the, watching it. We're in 2020 now, but I, I watched this one quite a while ago. I think probably last summer when I had some insomnia. Um, and I thought oh, I'll just take uh, one of the six off of, off of my plate here. And I remember enjoying it a little bit more in previous viewings. But it is so immature. But we're we're thinking that because people will mention that this is quite a good early Woody Allen film, it's like up there with bananas. It's well remembered. And, and the the only idea I can think of is the subversive nature of comedy in the late '60s into the early '70s was such that why not have this uh, very unusual uh, comedian by. A film rights to a non fiction um, medical book and turned it into this uh, comedy anthology. I feel like at the time it was released, people found this absolutely hilarious hmm. and entertaining, and the fact that they were gonna go to some places that were taboo uh, about sexuality. 2019, 2020. I'm not sure how taboo... Well, the actions are taboo, but like talking about them is not taboo. Not as much. So the impact isn't there. So all I see is how juvenile Woody Allen's acting is and his approach to this material. With the exception of uh, the Gene Wilder story, uh, which is basically... The- this man who falls in love with a sheep. He's At first a, sight, he just locks first eyes sight with yeah.
0: the sheep, and it's just it changes his world.
1: And 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 they go there. They, <laughs> the, he has sex with the sheep. He's in bed with the sheep. He leaves his wife for the sheep. You know, you're laughing because th- that one was was funny. Yeah. I don't think they could uh, stretch it out much more than they did, but that one was the only one this time where I, I was I was almost trying to rank the the mini films right in there and so i was thinking well this is the one if i'm to defend one in here uh i will defend this one but there are other ones that are kind of interesting to me still very juvenile uh this whole idea of uh an entire uh story happening uh, among the sperm yes. that are about to about to leave while this guy is on this date yeah i i kind of in a guilty way, I liked that story too. I might, if you're in the right mood, I might have gone for that one a I little found bit. Zinger, so like patently
0: obvious in mm-hmm. that one, like
1: it, it is. Like it just didn't seem like raw, edgy, funny Woody Allen or, I, or I, intelligent I just, Woody Allen. It I, I like, feel like I was desperate at the end to find something right. that I liked and i just don't remember it being as disappointing as it is so this is one of the ones where i've kind of switched my opinion and the thumb is th- firmly down on this movie and this anthology and i'm not sure i could but ever give gig. this who do i recommend this movie to exactly who's going to to like this i'm not even sure 12 uh, year old boys are going to like this i mean they might get a giant kick out of boob. that yeah i mean <laughs> there's a, which giant is a visual boob. gag with this giant boob which is Just so stupid. I I, I've never liked that particular brand of humor, and so when I've defended Woody Allen, it's for his verbal humor and his human interaction. So this was, to me, an an easy pass. Yeah, easy pass. It's just a a a completest type of thing that I have it in my movie collection, but.
0: The third story, we've talked about the first two. The the first one's The Jester. The second one's the Gene Wilder (laughs) and the Sheep. The third story is the one that's making an homage to Italian filmmaking.
1: Yeah, he was a fan, and he really respects Fellini and Kurosawa, and Igmar Bergman shows up in a lot of his... That influence shows up in a lot of his films. I get
0: what he's going for, but it's insufferably self-indulgent. I mean, it really... Which (laughs) you could
1: argue the Italian New Wave was insufferably self-indulgent as well. He's hitting the nail right on the head,
0: but I mean, like... (laughs) <laughs> yeah I don't think that was a difficult thing for him to do apparently he learned to speak his lines in Italian like phonetically like he wrote them in English told somebody how would I say this in, in, in Italian And mm-hmm. so he doesn't speak the language like he actually all,
1: had to work for that acting performance yeah there's a little bit of work yeah. and it's it's mixed,
0: and again, it's all about uh, you know him and this incredibly attractive woman having sex in public places because mm-hmm. that's the world that Woody Allen gets to live in for some reason.
1: But also, I, again, Italian New Wave films had that with these amazingly beautiful women and these older men who they have these relationships and it doesn't completely make sense at yeah. least in the world I live in. But uh, uh, to him, it makes perfect sense yeah. because uh, I guess. the next
0: one. Uh, uh, are transvestites homosexuals, which is based on the premise that Lee Jacoby wearing a dress is in and of itself a hilarious thing. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, again, I'm sure that, you know, uh, I'm a high school teacher, so I'm not insulting high school acting here, but I always have these boys who want to play women in this really ridiculous style, like as is portrayed in this, and they are not Academy Award-winning writers, (laughs) you know. (laughs)
0: So, I don't know, I've had nothing to say about that. Uh, the game show parody comes close to being funny. It reminds me of an old Monty Python sketch or, Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a, actually, it's a common sort of thing in sketch comedy to make sure, make fun of the ridiculously convoluted nature of some of those old shows, so
1: the satire kind of works until it overstays its welcome, mm-hmm. which it it's, does. I, I feel like there there's a scene in deconstructing Harry, which we'll get to later about about where uh, uh, his version of his sister is criticizing him for uh, not uh, being a self hating Jew, mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of that quality in here where you're forcing this Jewish couple to eat pork on and. And so I think it could be viewed in bad taste, but he's going, he's trying to push boundaries. I have less of of a problem about that. I kind of find it charming to see Regis Philbin as one of the celebrity guests. They get that 70's game show aesthetic, uh, (laughs) but these are all probably friends of Allen's and showing up in it. You know, it's just not, it sits there. It's, you know, it's not bad, but it's not great. Then we have the giant boob monster. Yeah, which I don't like that story at all. Lo- I know a lot of people get amusement out of it. It's just not my type of humor. I don't
0: know. I just like... I, I, it just didn't strike me as particularly funny. Watch the me...
1: B-movies? It... B-horror movies, maybe? I Instead of it being like a blob or... But... Yeah, it, it doesn't have that think, edge to it. It made
0: me think of Wadzilla from Chillerama, another movie that oh, yes. we reviewed. Yes, we did. Uh,
1: and uh, I did. That's not a good association. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I knew there was something that bothered me about. Yeah. One connection,
0: yeah. Of course, the, what happens at ej- ejaculation? Again, one joke premise goes on too long, and inexplicably, Burt Reynolds, who's like the biggest star in the world oh, at this he, time. Oh, enormous at so that. And, and he's got like five lines. It's, it's just pointless. It's, it's
1: mostly Tony Randall, who's a was a great theater actor he, he has more of a role and then Alan's in there nervously what's going to happen if you know to me after this it almost is I guess it's sort of playing into the human characters he plays who have fears of death yeah. and what's going to happen after death but from a sperm's point of view yeah so okay. yeah it's it's fine um but I'm not you know so it's
0: not enough to save the movie for me. That's the seven stories that,
1: yeah. that we were, and, and again, no high points, no low, well, some low points. The Gene Wilder performance you've mentioned is, to me, a high point, yeah. and that story, I think I like a, a bit more than you do. But I, I give all the praise to Gene
0: Wilder himself. I think yeah, another actor, there. I think if another, almost any other actor was in that role, I don't think it would have been as funny to me. <laughs> okay, Willy something- Wonka is there in this. Just the way his face freezes when he first sees it. <laughs> just like, <laughs> everything has changed for him as soon as he sees this animal. And it's just beautifully played. And I wish there was more of that. Yeah. And I just, I love Gene Wilder. And uh, Yeah. It almost much... makes you want to see
1: a movie starring Gene Wilder yeah. instead. Yeah. And if you like Gene Wilder, watch maybe the segment. just watch that segment and that segment alone.
0: Honestly, yeah. And again, even that, it's a one-show... but it's kind of funny yeah
1: i think we're in agreement (laughs) you know i still can't get over the fact that 24 hours ago i was in an egyptian tomb i didn't know any of you wonderful people i gotta speak to you you mean me tom baxter's come down off the screen and he's running around new jersey how can he come off the screen it's impossible it's never happened before in history in new jersey anything can happen
0: come away with me to cairo
1: Cairo. But you just met each other. Love at first sight doesn't only happen just in the movies. You coming from a costume party? No, I'm just back from Cairo, where I uh, searched in vain for the legendary Purple Rose. How about that? I wonder what it's like out there. Hey, what the hell kind of movie is this? Why don't you stop yapping? We've got problems of our own. Is that what I told you <coughs> I'd <told> you. do <coughs> You're the light obviously, of me. obviously, your marriage has come to an impasse, sir. I'm not Tom. I'm Gil Shepard. I play Tom. What? How do you know Tom? You're
0: Gil. G- oh, my God! <laughs> Where is he? Why? Do you want to tie me up?
1: What kind of a club is this, anyhow? Gotta get him back in the picture. Then we turn off the projector and burn the prints. And the negative. See, there you go, Tom. You're ruining everything. You are. You're the one. I saw the movie just last week. This is not what happened. I'm confused. I, I'm married. I, I just met a wonderful new man. He's fictional, but you can't have everything.
0: So... We have a complex relationship with whimsy in cinema. Mm -hmm. We love whimsy. We love sort of warm movies that are, you know, that feels nice, (laughs) right? But there's also sort of a double-edged sword to that sort of sentimentality. If if it's overcooked, it goes completely rotten. And if it's undercooked, it's kind of dry and boring. There's a real sweet spot you gotta Mm -hmm. kinda hit. And I think A Purple Rose of Cairo mostly does it. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's A-tier, top-of-the-barrel Woody Allen for me, but I think it's better than a lot of Woody Allen for me. Mm -hmm. I am grateful for it largely introducing the world to Jeff Daniels, who continues to be a really, really solid supporting actor. And, like, very rarely does he get front and center in a movie, but whenever he's in a movie, he's just solid as a fucking rock even if the movie isn't that great yeah and he's He's got a juicy role here because he gets to play two characters so the movie is all about this woman who is obsessed with the movies Mia Farrow goes to the movies all the time and she kind of has a cinematic crush on this supporting player in the purple rose of Cairo and again again her life is so miserable her her husband or boyfriend, played by the late, lamented Danny Aiello, yeah, fairly is mm-hmm. not particularly good for her, and abusive and negative, and yet still is treated with the same gentle touch that everything else in the movie seems to be. Um, one time she's watching the movie, and all of a sudden, the actor starts talking to her. And at first you're thinking she's having some kind of nervous breakdown, or you know this is going to be just a whimsical aside, but... Turns out this is the movie. He stops the movie, he walks out of the movie, and he wants to go out with Mia Farrow. This causes all sorts of complications. (laughs) Other movie characters start being able to break this reality, and there's a domino effect. The stuff that kind of disappoints, not the right word, the stuff that I wanted more of from the movie is that. The, The whole world of these cinematic characters walking out even the ones that are just left abandoned, who can't finish the scene, who just don't know what to do Those are themselves. funny scenes. They're funny scenes, but they don't go anywhere, and they don't resolve.
1: And these people who still are still sitting in the movie theater thinking it's this is like, part of it, and there's nothing on happening on, on the screen. On. I, just, I just find that absurd, but, but humorous. Yeah. Very, very humorous. There's
0: a lot of cool ideas to it, and again, her love of the film, of cinema, even though she's utterly betrayed by it, never dies. The movie starts with her in a movie theater loving mm-hmm. movies and it ends with her in a movie theater loving movies even though she's just been raked over the coals so here's the butt <laughs> here we go now, um i think that maybe it's the uh, rapidity with what he does his films i think this movie deserved more i think it deserved maybe more time it deserved more thought it it feels more like a not completely hashed out good idea. He explores the themes and the ideas and some of the characters and then he kind of walks away from it. it something feels incomplete to me here. I wish I could tell you this is the scene that the problem is or this is the, the, the gap in story that, that, uh, that I would need that would solve it for me, but it doesn't feel complete. But because it's so warm and because it's so charming, It's impossible to hate it.
1: Yeah, I just... You use a phrase in your show sometimes, it's a movie that wants to put a smile on your face. Yeah. And firmly, every time I watch it, there's a smile on my face. But I think some of what you're talking about is the reason that it's not the movie that people immediately think of, of 1980s Woody Allen. Right. This is a gentle Woody Allen. Mm -hmm. He is capable of doing, like, a dark family drama-like interiors. As we just talked about, of fairly immature um sex movie if you want to call it that. Farce, uh, I guess and yeah. they could do some really, really dark uh New York humor, like black humor, uh about very privileged people. But then he can come out with a movie like this, which is which is very light. Light and charming. Maybe at Midnight in Paris would be kind of a similar type of idea. Midnight in Paris got a bit more attention. Right. Uh I, I I just I just like the movie. I, I I I'm not sure I love it. I've watched it two or three times now, um, and I have more positive to say than the negative. Uh, I think you're right. There are opportunities that perhaps get missed in there, but what he's focusing so much on, um, kind of this romance. What I read it in this time coming to it, I saw it more as just how miserable this poor woman's life is and Danny Aiello is abusive yes you know you don't get in a whimsical film an abusive husband usually but we don't see him abusive we see him talking about abusing her and then
0: he'll threaten her and then he'll say something sweet to her right, right to follow it up it's like the movie knows that the tone is so light and dark that they they, so they can't light. go they can't go too hard mm-hmm, with that mm-hmm. and because she doesn't get to be whisked away to her hollywood romance and she is going to be stuck with this yeah. fucking bully for the rest of her life likely and because her only
1: escape is the movies which it's set in disappoint. the i believe the 30s as yeah. well and Aiello's character is dealing with some employment issues and and then drinking too much but i mean he's he's bringing Cheats home girlfriends summer. and and cheating on on her right in front of her is uh, just totally disrespectful acting like she's and the problem I, I watched this with some people who are big fans of, of moonstruck right, right? where Danny Aiello nice was such a nice the- uh affable oh, yeah. loser right and this is just a uh, darker i know Danny Aiello could go even darker than this in other movies Danny Aiello could do whatever you wanted him to do he, he he's he, just uh, a, a big loss and yeah big loss there you know uh but anyway uh i like pharaoh i I'm not sure I always have liked Pharaoh in Alan's movies, sometimes she's in the background, she's not as memorable, she's not Diane Keaton, no. she's not Scarlett Johansson or like some of the other women he's worked with uh, throughout his career, um, but I, I like her in this role because I believe that you know she's got something in her where the abuse makes sense, her only escape is the movies. And it's part of like all of our fantasy. We see uh, a beautiful woman on screen. And it's like, oh, that's the perfect woman. If she would come through the screen and just be my girlfriend, be my wife, then I would have a much happier life. Mm-hmm. And she's she's seen that with this uh, this character from the Purple Rose of Cairo. But when the actor shows up in the town and, and there's you know some flirtation there, she gets to see that like the whole thing is is just a facade that you know this is a this is a made-up character no person actually acts like this and is this perfect in real life so i feel like she has learned something and she's changed and booking ending it with her watching the movie and then watching the movie which is a little bit more understanding is okay this is my escape this is my entertainment but unfortunately for women at that time i still have to go home to this husband who is uh, horrible to me and you know, you you cheer for her. Oh, maybe there's some way that she can go off to Hollywood with that actor. But that actor, just wants as nice that. as he seems to be, he he promises everything and then he leaves. No,
0: the promise of the fantasy on the screen is more true to her yeah. than the reality that it takes to make that fantasy. And that in itself is interesting, but it's not really directly explored. Or you could go on a psychological component. What if this woman was so beat down and mm-hmm. so damaged that, like, it was some kind of psychotic episode? But no. You, c- you could go this, there. Is um, no, no, this, this is actually happening. No, this is actually happening. Because, again, light, whimsical, and funny. That's what I say. It just knocks on the door of all of these ideas, but kind of just sort of leaves them there. And uh, I think... You know, you can have a good conversation about the movie. And I wouldn't ever tell someone not to watch the movie. I know I'm... I, I feel like I'm playing devil's advocate because... Well, you have <laughs> to. We're, we're, this is <laughs> here we are we're criticizing. It, yeah. It. Um, and I do mostly like the movie. I, I, I go back to where I started in saying that there's something incomplete about it. But the, it's so warm. I, I just don't know how to sit on that ending, too. Especially, like, she's betrayed by the real actor who comes back to mm-hmm. sort of foil the relationship between her and the movie actor. So that he can go back on the screen and the movies can continue to roll. He can continue to have his acting career. And the second he accomplishes his goal, he's outie. And she doesn't even seem to mourn it. She seems to understand it right away. And she takes her seat in the movie theater. And you'd think, you know, after that level of, you know, disappointment, she thought she had her ticket out of this place, that 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 would somehow break the spell of the magic of this cinema for her. But But it does not at all. What
1: else is she going to do? What else does she have in her life? But either it, she just sits there and suffers and has no enjoyment feel it that like the, the it wasn't a cry
0: moment it was almost again it, it almost felt warm at the end mm-hmm. it, it's counterintuitive i guess mm-hmm. because to me this character who's just sweet and just wanted escaped got betrayed by the one thing that she could have always depended on previously which was the movies movies themselves betrayed her yeah But in spite of that, she still loves the movies, much like she still, I guess, loves her abusive husband.
1: Was it the movies that betrayed her, or was it the people who make movies?
0: Well, in the end of the day, it ended up causing her misery, and Mm -hmm. she lost the relationship with the actor, and whether or not she can still communicate with the actor on screen, she can watch The Purple Rose of of Cairo a hundred
1: more times, and he's not going to talk to her again. No. No. It's like a lot of Woody Allen's comedies have a sadness to them. Yeah. Oh, no, and I think that's but, a lot. A lot
0: of great but, comedies mm-hmm. have sadness to them. We keep going back to Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. but I think the, the melancholy in those movies is a necessary counterweight for all of the goofiness. Yeah, um, and I, I, I could, I wouldn't be surprised if Wes Anderson said that this was an influential movie to him. Right? It's it, possible. It, it does he might of, not
1: want to say that now because people <laughs> will turn on him.
0: How dare you mention him as an influence? Yeah. Anyway, I, I do. Really, I like the movie. I just don't think it's it's the top tier. Yeah.
1: And I and I like uh, Jeff Daniels. And oh, there's yeah. this really charming scene where Jeff Daniels plays music because he's a talented musician. As That's well. right. I just yeah. wanted to mention that. Uh, apparently, when
0: he his wife got pregnant at the time, he ended up going back to his hometown because he didn't want to raise a kid in L.A. He started a yeah, the local theater, yeah. Yeah. and he called it the Purple Rose because mm-hmm. that was the movie that made his career. So yeah. it's a good uh, thing.
1: I appreciate Alan for. Pushing and Daniel's uh, stardom a bit. Yeah, for yeah. sure. And if he was good in the movie, yeah, yeah. for sure.
0: Looking for someone? This guy's the devil. I've been offered a lot of jobs in your world. What? what kind of jobs? They offer you? For two years, I ran a Hollywood studio, but uh, you can't trust those people. Billy Crystal. You want me to turn on the air conditioner? Your air conditioner here? Sure. It messes up the ozone layer. Kirstie Alley.
1: I'm not overreacting, You, say you... you are a mental case. Judy Davis. Woody Allen. You're under arrest, <laughs> Mr. Oh, no, sorry, Mr. No. Demi Moore. I'm sick of your smug cynicism. Elizabeth Shue, Julia Louis Dreyfus, and Robin Williams.
0: The act is out of focus. You're soft. I'm getting a little late. I gotta get to the doctor. Deconstructing Harry.
1: Floor seven. The media. Sorry, that floor is all filled up. Lowest level, everybody off.
0: So if we're going to address the Woody Allen controversy, this would be the movie to do it, because in this movie he's kind of, if not directly, in some way indirectly, looking himself in the mirror. As much as it's called Deconstructing Harry, it's Deconstructing Woody. Woody, Let's be real. I remember watching this at the time, and this was probably around the time that I was enjoying some of the earlier Woody Allens, and just being knocked on my ass with how much I liked this movie. Mm -hmm. Like, I really liked it. Like, And right away, Judy Davis coming in and just tearing a strip off of Woody Allen. I'm like, thank you. This is the scene I've been waiting for in a Woody Allen movie forever. Oh, my God. Give me, give me, give me. She disappears largely from the movie after that, unfortunately. But... uh, I really, really liked it at the time, and it was one of the movies that when you suggested doing Woody Allen, I was like, I want to put that on the mm-hmm. list as a safety because I know I really like it. There's mm-hmm. some brilliant stuff in it, and there is some brilliant stuff in it. But upon revisiting it, I like it less. I like it less. This is the one. This is the one. This one hurts. Uh, i not li- going I, for six for six. It's tough because this was shortly after the... Shitstorm, the first shitstorm, you mm-hmm. know, Mia Farrow fall out of the relationship. Yeah, about five years after it, yeah. He's ending up marrying this girl half his age who mm-hmm. was the adopted daughter of his girlfriend. Ugly, ugly, ugly. So there was some negative spin on Woody Allen, and he's famously he doesn't like to give interviews and like toggle personal stuff. So in this movie, Deconstructing Harry, this guy writes an autobiographical book about all the dirty laundry in his love life, basically, and seems confused that all of these people are deeply upset at their personal laundry being aired and all of the repercussions that
1: he doesn't just seems to shrug off. Well, well it is fictional. Like he wrote mm. something
0: which is fictional,
1: but they the recognize this is stuff that actually happened. Anybody
0: who would know him or know the people around his life would know exactly mm-hmm. what's going on. So, the movie very cleverly has these scenes where we see the version from the book, which are played by different actors, and then we see the, quote, actual characters in his life, which are played differently. Um, I'm going to start with the positives, and there are a lot of them, Jason. I, don't, mm-hmm. I, I know I sounded really dark coming out of the gate. Mm-hmm. I said I liked it less than I did before. But <laughs> it's so not that you don't like it. it's not but, that I don't like it. Yeah. Here's some of the, the great surprises of the movie. Kirstie Alley gives a... <laughs> Fucking awesome oh, performance! Oh, 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 oh. A fucking awesome performance in this movie, and, and it's funny not, too. And again, you know, exactly, a no weird way. Yeah. This is not the first time I have been kissing the ass of Kirstie Alley on <laughs> this <laughs> podcast. Like, yeah. uh, like, there's been a few times where I've just been genuinely surprised by the girl, and this is definitely one of them. I really, really like her performance in this. She she and, plays his actual one of his one of his wives. Yeah, the, the rea- in the real world. Yeah, yeah in yes. the real world. Yeah, yeah. and this chillingly prophetic short vignette with Robin Williams as a character who is soft and mm-hmm. no one can see him properly yeah. mm-hmm. just seems like positively crazy like it's almost like River Phoenix being faded out at yeah. the end of Stand By Me it's almost like Rob oh, Reiner fucking knew mm-hmm. that, <laughs> that River Phoenix was going to have a tragic mm-hmm. end like there's something about that scene which was originally charming just in of itself as mm-hmm. a little sort of funny vignette but now when it is Robin Williams and we never get to really see him and his you know, the whole concept of his family have to wear glasses, but they don't want to have to wear glasses just so they can see their dad. Like great little bit, really, really liked it. Um, the stuff that rubs me the wrong way and there's other things again, I don't want to that, there's a laundry list of great performances in the movie. It's, I, a, I, it's it, a
1: for a ninety minute or whatever it is, it's a big movie. Yeah. There's lot a lot of, of characters and a lot of stuff going on.
0: Um, and I like the way it's told, the the, the reality and the, the faux reality and the road trip to get this award. But in the end, I don't think he ends up really taking position on Harry or himself. And it becomes, with that big party sequence at the end, almost like this self-congratulatory thing. Like, I'm a failed human being, but since I am a brilliant writer... It doesn't matter how shite my life is. It doesn't matter how shitty the things I do. As long as I have this brilliant thing, Mm -hmm. uh, it's going to be okay. So as long as I'm Woody Allen, in the end, it doesn't really matter. Seems to be the moral of the story here. And the the whole room giving him a standing ovation is almost M. Night Shyamalan levels of of self-gratifying pretentiousness. Mm -hmm. And it's the bow on the top of this movie that is sometimes hilarious and sometimes insightful. And in the end is him exploring with a torch deep up his own ass and congratulating himself for it. So as much as I laugh, and I still laugh when I watch it again this time, it becomes a little bit tainted by it. I just sort of... I, I don't agree with the premise that... Yeah, I'm a complete shitbag to everybody around me, but at least I'm a brilliant writer, so that makes it okay. No. No. As much as I will defend your right to make as many movies as you want, that's not okay. That's the bullshit bubble that I believe you genuinely live in. And the fact that you made this movie to defend that position... I wish you would have just made a straight funny movie about someone who wasn't Woody. So, I laughed out loud. I couldn't say don't watch the movie, but I find it problematic. I deserve my my tongue lashing here it comes Uh,
1: no I'm not going to (laughs) I don't want this to go too long because there's a lot I want I do like a lot in the movie this is the one I'm passionate about obviously I take a lot of the ending in a different way than you do and that's maybe why I remain very positive of the movies uh, we're uh, reviewing this is the one I've watched the most Mm -hmm. I feel like it's a a entire movie about self-hate In that he's recognizing all of his flaws and how he's stolen the stories from people in his life he's put them on film this guy's put them in uh, in novels and uh, I feel like this is the most honest we're ever gonna get with Woody and the business at the end is a really strange parallel to the Purple Rose of Cairo here at the end this poor woman is left just with the fictional characters in the movies that's her yeah. only comfort. Yeah. At the end for Harry, all he is left with in his life are the fictional characters he's created. But it feels like a warm, happy ending to me. He's just he is just stuck with living in uh the world of fiction. He cannot work in in the real world. Mm-hmm. And uh and it's to me it's tragic. It is it is sad and uh he realizes he has screwed up so many of uh, the relationships for his art he's let his art you know dictate what he does and and so i i don't take it as this big uh, victory, uh i'm okay. victory at all i just think it's this this lonely man at the end who's left alone in his new york apartment in his mind thinking of all of these characters he's created as his only comfort so so if i take it that way i i can defend Several things. Right. In Largely
0: here. speaking, I like the fantasy more than I like the reality in this movie. Uh, well,
1: and and you should because right. it's a lot cleaner. Like he is, it's his simple. his life is a a mess. His life life is an absolute mess. He he has to kidnap his son to yeah. go to an, uh, to this university where he's going to receive this award. Yeah. Um, because his wife and. She has her reasons. She has her reasons. I mean, I I, I do feel like that was Very. writing Mia Farrow, um, uh, on, on there. She, she has her reasons. What it sort of comes down to me is this scene where, uh, interestingly enough, Muriel Hemingway, uh, if you know the history in yeah, Manhattan, she and all like that. a
0: teenage girlfriend. Yeah, it? in uh, in years Manhattan. Ago. Yeah,
1: and and so she's this mother who overhears Woody honestly talking to his son about uh, penises. In this elementary school class, that's one of the few times he's likable in the movie, as far as I am concerned. And, um, and then she talks to uh, to his wife, and then he's no longer allowed to see his his son. Yeah, you know, and that's one of the few cases
0: in the movie where he was unfairly maligned because mm-hmm. <laughs> he was being a pretty decent dad and at that scene. I and
1: think. that maybe him saying "I'm unfairly maligned," there, in, there, in this personal relationship and this media attack that's happened, which is now a lot more pervasive you know and so um now my favorite performance in the film i just want to give some a little bit of time to is judy uh is is judy davis judy davis was also wonderful in husbands and wives she's just generally awesome (laughs) she's generally awesome I, i i thought she maybe could have gone some oscar consideration for this um because she just goes all out. I mean, I, she's one of my favorite Woody Allen performers. Um, she plays a very, very neurotic character. Um, but she has mastered this. I see other actors try to do this, and just they don't do it quite as, as well. And that scene you're talking about with such a strong beginning. Yeah. We, we have these, and it's deconstruction, so this really interesting almost title sequence. He doesn't often have title sequences in his movies. Um, where we keep cutting back and forth from, uh, Judy Davis coming out of the cab and going to, uh, to his place to, uh, to, to rip him apart. Um. Juxtaposed with the fictional story with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and this... Uh, Benjamin doing the doggy stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's <With> this, a <laughs> this really funny scene where this blind, blind aunt comes in and, and is like standing there while yeah. they're having sex. But that's what I mean when I say you I know. like the fantasy stuff yeah. more because just seeing Julia Louis-Dreyfus in
0: this pretty funny yeah. scene... Yeah, and it I was really such liked.
1: so different than what she was doing on the sitcom. We now know that she can go there, Yeah, but the sitcom stuff with Seinfeld, yeah. it, was, it was nice to see her just... Do something which is a little bit more edgy
0: well and the stuff that made me laugh like the the story about the jewish serial killer <laughs> yes i think that's the star wars priceless. helmets
1: that they have at the, yeah. the what was it a bar mitzvah or
0: that stuff's really good um but again the whole thing with judy davis how does he get out of that situation he tells her a funny story and mm-hmm. she puts the gun away yeah so his art saves him yes it's always again and again the mm-hmm. fiction that saves him the fiction causes the problem but it also solves the problem. And right? could that be the case with Woody? Well, I, maybe. Maybe. We don't know. I, I don't know the man <laughs> yeah. myself. But. but, I again, it feels more like an attempt at absolution. It's like, I'm brilliant. Forgive me. Right? And that's the stuff that rubs me the wrong way.
1: Yeah, I, I I can see that throughout. But, again, I just don't buy that the end is, uh, well, everything is great and wonderful because, of, because I'm a writer. I just feel like it's... He takes himself... Even uh, and you you mentioned Elizabeth Shue relationship, which I guess is some people would call it the more cringy. I mean, I'm there were more cringy ones in his canon, I'd say than that one. But it but was, he yeah. rejected a woman who said, "I I love you." Maybe she fell in love with him because of who he is and uh, and his art and all that, which could be a factor. But. He says, "Don't fall in love with me. Don't fall in love with me," and drives her away and into the arms of, of Billy Crystal. And then once she's away, he laments it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the sequence in Hell. Billy Crystal being the devil. I and, did want to talk about that. Yeah. For uh,
0: from a directing standpoint, that sequence is one, one, one of the of more a, impressive ones, at least in this bunch of movies. Production design. It was one. Yeah, Woody's not always visual. Yeah. But that was. And in in this worldview, the sort of mumbling. Stuttering, underdone aesthetic of his dialogue really works mm-hmm. in counterbalance to the scale of the suffering that's going on around him. Mm-hmm. And then we have this sort of cutesy mumbling dialogue. I liked Billy Crystal's, you know, version of the devil. And, and
1: Mr. Nice Guy Billy Crystal yeah. says horrible things
0: mm-hmm. but he's in the there, devil. <laughs> and he's the devil,
1: and he does a nice job of playing the devil. Yeah. yeah. And again, this is all the stuff that, I like,
0: the, the, the movie is funny, and the movie, like, I like the way it's told, I like the broken reality, mm-hmm. and I like that he allows the characters to scold him. It's just interesting that mostly he does it in the fictional realm, right? The Demi Moore character is allowed to call him out. No, your sister does have a point. You are yep. really mean about your Jewish characters, and you, it seems unnecessary. There might be some. She might be onto something. You yes. shouldn't maybe just dismiss her. And yeah, he allows himself of these few hits, but within the realm of the fantasy, we don't really see him confronting the reality. I'm not it doesn't really feel it's like Judy, defense a lot. Yeah. yeah, does although as played, like I can't see a good approach to the Judy Davis character or the Kirstie Alley character that it wasn't going to end with him like getting a couple teeth knocked out of his mouth. Yeah. so he can only have that conversation maybe mm-hmm. in the fantasy realm. But again, uh, I because I, there's so much really smart and good in it. Mm-hmm. And mean Toby Maguire's little vignette of uh, taking the person mm-hmm. or assuming the personality of someone to use their suite, and then death comes knocking on the door.
1: Great, funny, vintage, mm-hmm.
0: classic Woody like, Allen.
1: These are the sketches that should have been in the previous film we talked about, right. which was a full-on anthology movie. And this is the kind of stuff that I associate with the sort
0: of the goofier, sort of mm-hmm. you know less. Uh, I don't want to say less ambitious because I think making a genuinely full-hearted, goofy comedy is not as easy as you would think. No, it isn't. No, (laughs) it is not. Uh, um, Horror
1: and comedy are very difficult to pull off. Yeah.
0: Um, But I guess there's the less serious Woody Allen and then there's the more serious Woody Allen. Mm -hmm. Sort of like with Spielberg. There's the popcorn Spielberg and And then there's the horror films. Yeah, yeah, history lessons Spielberg. So this movie is is maybe trying to split the difference and and maybe Mm -hmm. that's kind of interesting tonally. Um, there's that interesting road trip you talk about he does kidnap his son, yeah, and uh, he does basically you know just sort of spoil his son as a way to father him and mm-hmm. I think this is a common thing when you don 't get to see your son that yeah. often whenever you do all you just do, you just shower him with gifts, but that 's yeah. not being a parent, you know yeah. that 's
1: I also feel like there's an um, Igmar Bergman homage to a film called Wild, Wild Strawberries with that whole road trip. So I confess to, to not having seen Okay, yeah, yeah. It's just I was watching it in the film class in university at the same time as I saw Deconstructing Harry and I saw a lot of and just knowing the relationship he has with Bergman films. I yeah. think that, that makes sense. Anyway, I, I just of the uh, really good Woody Allen movies we're talking about I think this is the truest to being a Woody Allen film. Mm-hmm. And I looked. I liked Woody Allen's acting more in this movie than in some other ones that we I would agree about.
0: with you. There, there's much more layers going on here.
1: So I, I, did, I am I'm, I'm a defender of this film, and uh, and I, I, I just really like it. That's my.
0: Like, I used to be, I used to really like it, and now I just like it with reservations, I guess is okay. what I'm saying. I wouldn't tell someone not to watch mm. this movie. Like, it, it's, yeah. it's not the bottom of the list by any, any scale, but it's funny to me because I came in like, okay, deconstructing Harry is my safety. Yeah. And, it, and, and, and then it, 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 it <laughs> ended up not being the movie I remembered it to be.
1: If I took it the way you did, I probably would be feeling less about it, too. Right. But I, I just have my, my viewing or my reading of it is, is different.
0: Yeah. So it's, and again, there's so much to talk about. The Bob Balaban character yes. who uh, is convinced that he's going to die and asks Woody Allen to come to him with the doctor's appointment. And he does. And he calms him down. And he actually seems like a good friend. And to, in a way, to say thank you, he joins him on this road trip. And then he ends up dying in the mm-hmm. car. And again, I started thinking, well, this is kind of interesting. Like, compared to the problems that Woody Allen's dealing with, like. <laughs> yeah. This is this, this is, is real real shit. This guy's mm-hmm. dealing with. And he goes through the history of his family. None of his family members have lived past a certain date, yeah. and he was facing his death. And he spent his last day with him. You know, and mm-hmm. uh, I don't. I just I didn't feel and like get any learn any lesson from that. Like some people problems, you know, start with how am I going to eat or pay rent today. Mm-hmm. His baseline is that he's going to do whatever he wants today. But how has he fucked up his life to this point where somehow happiness is so elusive?
1: Well, well, part of it is I think he's recognizing people have real problems. Um, I don't have real problems. Why am I so miserable still? And that's a wrestling match that Alan perhaps himself has mm-hmm. and definitely his, but do you think that's what that thing was sort
0: of signifying there I, I
1: i feel that plus he he's losing one of his truest friends yeah. like this is actually a good friend somebody who's not going to leave him knowing all of the other crap like we probably both know some really miserable people yeah but they have friends yeah you know and this is just one of those friends that clings to somebody who is not a likable person but then he loses that guy in reality, it's miserable because then he can write a version of that guy. Then he has, oh, I can go back to my friend who's fictional, but it's horrible to have to spend time with my real friends who are dying or hate me or, you know, will 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 come to my life and eventually leave me because everybody leaves me. I, I just see a real sadness through this whole thing, and and that's my take on, on the it. Same thing with the prostitute thing. Like mm-hmm. I, I found
0: it really interesting and kind of shocking how frank he was about. Yeah, I, I, I will pay for sex. I have no problem paying for sex. In fact, I like it. Uh, yeah, it's
1: it's a type of relationship he wants to have yeah. with women. You know, it's just a, he a doesn't transaction.
0: dehumanize the prostitute at all. In fact, he's very friendly with her, and they have a personal relationship on top of the quote professional one. Uh, but it's just interesting that that's just such not a big deal to his character. Mm-hmm. Paying for sex, there's no he has no qualms about no. it. Uh, and uh, I, I found that frankness refreshing, but at the same time. Anybody who's half smart knows you don't go on a road trip with your, you know, single-digit age category
1: son and a prostitute. (laughs) And it's just some sort of insecurity where he has to have a woman on his side when he gets this award. And he, you know, he's lost Elizabeth Shue, so he can't do that. She's getting married to Billy Crystal at the same time as this is happening. So
0: showing up with nobody or showing up with a prostitute, which looks... Right. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's very complex, and again, I, did, I didn't mean to be all negative about it. I do really like the movie. To I mean, just... there's a lot
1: more to it than some of the more immature early comedies that he did. Oh, no. And uh,
0: I will take Deconstructing Harry over everything you wanted to know about sex I need, in a yes. week. Yes. So, yes. Uh, Please. Very interesting. Very interesting stuff. You like that? I knew you would. They say I'm a wonderful lover. I like women, but I don't need them. That's the way it is when you're a true artist. Gosh, not only are you vain and egotistical, but you have genuine crudeness. She's too good-hearted, genuinely sweet person. Won't get you anywhere in life.
1: What do you think of when you play? What goes through your mind?
0: Yeah, that I'm underpaid. I think about that sometimes. If you could just let your feelings out, you might
1: even play better.
0: Why Emmett Ray? Because 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 he was interesting. Sort of pathetic in a way. He's flamboyant, obnoxious, and he was funny. To me, Emmett Ray was a fascinating character. I'm
1: Emmett Ray. I'm the greatest guitar player in the world.
0: So Sweet and Lowdown is kind of a different number. Uh, it's less of an ensemble piece than a lot of his films tend to be. It's got this pseudo-documentary style, and it's so convincingly a character study of this uh, Dust Bowl-age musician that I assumed that it was based on a real person. Mm-hmm. It's not. It's just sort of a, congl- a conglomeration of a bunch of, I guess, stories about various musicians sort of compiled into this This movie, But I I think the first time I saw it, I actually thought it was based on a real guy, which Mm -hmm. would be nice. There's a few things that uh, the movie kind of reminds me of when I was watching it. And strangely, one of them was the documentary Crumb.
1: Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah, it does Uh, make
0: sense. Terry Zwigoff did it, and I just recently reviewed Bad Santa. It was strangely the same thing. But the thing about Crumb that was interesting uh, was not, you know... Just how fascinating and crazy the character of Krem was, but this idea that if he didn't find a way to make a living off of those drawings, he would be dead or committed. Mm -hmm. Like, if he didn't have this creative outlet, if he didn't have a way to express that, if he didn't find a way to make that work, his life wasn't going to work. And that, I think, holds true to the character Sean Penn's playing Emmett Ray mm-hmm. in this. He's a classic blues and jazz guitarist, and uh, he is eccentric. <laughs> His idea of a romantic evening is to drive a girl out to a dump and shoot rats, rats yes. which is still, I think, one of my favorite scenes of any of the <laughs> movies that we're going to talk about in this collection. Yeah, who, oh. Samantha Morton and him. At the junkyard, shooting around, he's just having the time of his life. He's having this like gleeful toddler adventure, and she's just staring at him like, "What in the world have I got myself into?"
1: And it goes a little bit darker with another date he he takes. And just remember, uh, Greta, uh, the actor's name, um, who is less of a sport about it. Gretchen Mall. Gretchen Mall. Yeah. uh, Just. Rips disgusted. him apart yeah. uh, for for taking her to this disgusting place. To... <laughs> you rats uh,
0: And he's, he's strangely impenetrable. He's uh, and, and uncorruptible in some ways. Although he is interested in getting paid, and he is interested in getting relationships off of his fame, but nothing trumps his excess of personality. <laughs> like he's a he's, gambler, yeah. and he's always going to do what he's going to do. And it's a, a, a really full-blooded. Uh, committed performance from Sean Penn, apparently he spent weeks and weeks learning how to play the guitar specifically very impressively well, yes, but Woody Allen still insisted on having somebody sub in his hands for the guitar, which caused Penn did some not like that no. well i I get it, yeah, I get you pouring yourself into it and learning how to play it not just how to play the mm-hmm. guitar but to play it that way. And for him not to like, in barely any shots do we actually see, other than a few wide shots, I guess, is he actually playing? And I, I'm sympathetic to him being pissed mm-hmm. off about mm-hmm. that, frankly, but I, I don't think it takes away from his performance. I still, I'm impressed uh, f- for it. Um, and Samantha Morton gives a almost completely silent performance through this movie, and uh, she is mm-hmm. utterly charming. She seems to. Uh, be occupying a similar place that the, the main character of the Purple Rose was, is mm-hmm. in some way. But she's a little odder and a little sweeter, uh, and there's almost like a little childish quality to her too. But she's a woman. But there's just there's something about her. Uh, I don't know. It's it's hard to put your finger on. But it's very charming, uh, and uh, it's not necessarily that they're meant to be together or that they're good for each other. But they're good for us, <laughs> for the audience to see these two pieces of work together. The movie's utterly charming. Like I said, documentary style, there's historians that chiming in about different events in his life as we go through it, sort of holding our hands to the narrative. We see Woody Allen briefly in those, mm-hmm. but that's it. And I have no problem with anything in the movie. Not the story, not the performances, not the plot. I think it's a very strong entry. There was a time where I just thought it was just a little less good than Deconstructing Harry... I have now flipped the coin where I think it's a little more good than okay. deconstructing Harry. Uh, so mostly very positive things. So far of the ones we talked about, I think this is the one. And rewatching it again, again, I, this is I was more I guess receptive to Woody Allen in the '90s than I am today. I guess. Yeah. So this was hitting me at the right time. Mm-hmm. But after the deconstructing Harry thing, I was like, "Oh no! Is there going to be anything <laughs> is there, here? Is, for is there, there going to be something here? Am I going to suddenly not like this guy? Is he going to be too eccentric for me?" That was not the case. I find the movie funny and charming and uh, uh, whimsical. In in it, it's right in his wheelhouse because it's it's that music thing that he really loves. It's it's obviously, like I said, I believe it to be a real performer because it, it could well
1: be. So it's. It's a well, well-rendered well portrait of an eccentric character. Yeah. I'm going to bring up a name from the past, Brody Doyle. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, I remember when this movie first came out in Saskatoon theaters, and Brody actually got partway through the film, and he thought it was an actual documentary. Oh, really? You know, and he I might be, it's been a few years, so I might be sort of misrepresenting this a little bit. <laughs> um, but he thought it was a, you know very much like you that this is about a, a real person um, the second best uh, guitar player next to uh, Django Reinhardt which is a big big piece of this this film um, it is it is one of two I'd say like un-Woody Allen like movies that we are reviewing um, and uh, it is very successful uh, and the, the big promote what I was most interested in initially was Sean Penn who is a deep method actor yep paired with Woody Allen and are these guys going to clash because I'm not sure Woody has a lot of time he doesn't want to spend time talking about things with actors other than just the basics to get the movie shot Uh, and I'm not he didn't work with I I don't think Penn worked with Allen again so maybe it wasn't that pleasant an experience I don't know Uh, I can totally see like Woody knows his stuff when it comes to music and if it was just just a notch off from what he wants because this is supposed to be not just a very good guitar player, but among the, the greatest. Best. Yeah. But what Penn does uh, with his his physicalization of the character is is extraordinary. And when he's playing, and just where his body is centered, and those head movements, and that smile he has, and he's he's looking at the audience to see if they like it. But uh, part of him doesn't doesn't really care. Um, <laughs> he's gonna do his thing. To me, though and she doesn't get enough screen time but Samantha Morton just is the to me just steals the movie without saying a word she doesn't say a word and uh I just look forward to when I revisit it every single scene that she's in and we know exactly what she's thinking each and every moment and she's just crazy for this guy it's inexplicable, but she is crazy for this uh, man. And maybe it's just the most exotic man she's ever uh, encountered at, when she first meets him. He treats her horribly, but she remains very kind. But you could watch her, her hurt at times or when she's like, I'm not sure you should be doing that. She communicates everything with her face. Yeah body language it is it is an underrated performance in a you know, woody well, she allen did movie get nominated she for did an Oscar. but it gets forgotten about a little yeah. bit people sort of remember Penn being in this but i really want to um sing her praises sing her praises well and she was
0: also incredibly young at the time yes
1: <clears throat> I, I saw an interview with i think
0: it was woody allen it was either woody allen or, or samantha Gordon, but the story goes anyway that when she first was being approached by it was sort of like going to be a chaplin esque kind of performance and woody allen wants to talk to you and when she got that offer she knew neither who charlie chaplin was Hmm. nor who woody
1: allen was okay (laughs) that's maybe to her benefit right Right? yeah but
0: like so who knows the size of the opportunity that was going to land in her lap was kind of impressive but being thrown in the deep end of that pool, that couldn't have been easy. And, like, say she's and acting off like, of
1: Penn. Sean Penn. Yeah. yeah. This is By this point, Sean Penn was Sean Penn. And this isn't like the face. early days. You can just
0: use your face yeah. and not your voice, right? Your physicality in your face, that's all you got. So, yeah. No, I'm not going to fight you on that I mean, There are
1: bigger stars in this movie, but she just is so much more interesting. Uma Thurman is kind of this later girlfriend. and Uma Thurman was, was big in the 90s. She's good in the movie. And but- she's fine. But I, I just like, okay, let's let's get away from her and let's go back. Much like the character who, late in the film, goes back to this woman who he feels like men have this in them to be uh, this, well, that girl's always going to be sitting there waiting for me. Yeah. And goes back. And that She's is not. so beautifully directed by Alan. Sometimes I forget about his direction of that movie, but he, he keeps a camera on Penn's face as she non-verbally tells him that she now has a wife and, and however husband. many kids yeah. or has a husband sorry a husband and however many kids yeah and we just see like this reaction and he like is totally destroyed then we he goes back to like the facade of yeah. oh it's okay you're a pain anyway and yeah. you know i can have any woman i want that no, kind of no. thing the,
0: you will be the gaping hole in my life for the remainder yeah. of my life yeah, uh, I but mean, he, again, he does it to himself. This is like uh, this is the bed that he made and that he laid himself in. Uh, another one of the famous Rankin Review quotes is, you see the design, so you build the design for the trap, then you lay down in the trap, and then you mm. spring the trap, <laughs> and then you scream out to the heavens, why am I in it this is... trap? <laughs> and it's heartbreaking this because... I think everybody has some aspect of their life when they do that to mm-hmm. themselves, and uh, in this case, it's not going to be recuperable. Mm-hmm. Does, doesn't matter how much money he makes or how many people he sleeps with, he's fucked up the thing that was going to yeah. really make him happy. Unfortunately, um, but I, again, I'm—he uh, does do some shitty things, and he is eccentric. He's not not a likable character at all. But I, I he makes me smile. <laughs> like he does. He, uh, uh, I. I can't defend him, nor can I hate him. It's, it's, and that's a fine line to walk, but it is, I think they it manage it. Yeah,
1: and when when Alan's been successful in creating a character um, like that, that's that's where we're at. Yeah, you know. Um, the other thing I just wanted, you know, there I feel like I'm being very nice to the movie. I it's again not among my Davis. my favorites, uh, but I, I I really do enjoy it. Uh, we talked about a visual gag that to me was just stupid and didn't work with uh, like the the breasts that are uh, mm-hmm. a monster yeah in an earlier film there's a great visual gag where um, where where penn's character has this wonderful idea of he he comes down from uh, the moon and and they do all this work for this for for this set piece okay. and, and it's like they spend a lot of time in the movie early on on this and it's just an absolute Disaster, yeah. and there's a payoff to it over multiple scenes where he's he's burning a thing at the end because he's so upset with how how wait. bad this entrance is, so but he's that's it shows the the arrogance of his. Of his genius. Does I mean, he say like he wants to be alone with the moon for a little while? Yes, like, he's got this yes, image. That is so
0: good. He's got this image in his head of how it's going to be this
1: this amazing thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, does, and we've all been there, right. where we have these creative ideas and they just don't go our way, but from from beginning to end. And he's so specific about how the moon is supposed to be, and <laughs> if it's not good enough, uh, just such a, a genuinely funny moment early in the film, and. Um, that that goes a long way plus the character is so eccentric so it's it's fun to see what happens i think there are some familiar things late in the film that we have i mean any love story is doomed for failure in a woody allen film it seems like it's very rare that at the end well i'm not even i can't even think of maybe one or two where that's happened um the the gangster angle of things too We, we we see that before i think in a better way, in, in say, Bolts over Broadway. Yeah. Well, um,
0: let's sort of say it doesn't feel like an ensemble piece to me. Yeah, yeah. Anthony pa- LaPaglia and, and Uma Thurman are in the movie. I don't think of them at all when I think of the movie. No, I think, no, of, I the think movie, of the two leads yeah Samantha Morton and Sean yeah. Penn. And that's... That, to, to take nothing away from the other actors, but uh, that's just where the heart of the movie is. Yeah, and and think, if you connect to those two characters, and I, I don't know if I want to know somebody who doesn't at least get something out of those two characters the movie will work for you it may not work as well as it does for me but I I can't imagine you being like this was a waste of my
1: time yeah enough this listed uh, Woody Allen films are ranks very high for me I'm sorry I
0: can't breathe I need Uh, a doctor
1: (laughs) I don't don't think you need a doctor I'm just checking your glands right now the doctor had better sex examining her than I've had in six months breathe what should
0: I do? What do I do? What, what would you do?
1: I think we would both benefit from some time apart.
0: I'll be moving out. I'm back. I guess I have a problem with commitment. I, I can't live without you. Is she cheating on me? My God, Jerry. Hey, what do you think I am? Okay, I slept with Ron Keller. I had to know if I could even get aroused anymore. And 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 uh, and can you? Yeah, it's good news. I can. So why did I choose anything else? Not because I have a big, you know, axe to grind about Jason Biggs or anything like that. A, I wanted to sort of do a sweep of his career as much as we're only doing six movies in and, uh, 50 or however many... Yeah, yeah. but I'll try to spread it out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Try to pick some that I hadn't seen. I hadn't mm-hmm. seen this one before. And I unless I fucking dreamed it... <laughs> I, I, I remember seeing an interview with uh, Quentin Tarantino and him talking about this movie as it being like one of his favorite Woody Allen movies and one of the best movies of that year or maybe even that decade. I don't
1: know. Woody Where, has interesting taste. I mean, sorry, Quentin Tarantino. has interesting taste... It might have been uh, like
0: one of the best movies he's seen post Pulp Fiction. or no, something No, like, like,
1: uh, like Quentin one year said, Domino should have been up for Best Picture yeah, of the well, year. I mean, he's just wrong about that. But yeah, <laughs> he makes better movies than sometimes his taste in movies suggests. It's weird because if any guy should
0: have a movie podcast, it's Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, already. I know. But yeah. at the same time, can you trust it? <laughs> yes. Like I, I get the feeling like if there's one dead brilliant scene in the movie, that's good enough for him to endorse the mm. whole meat and potatoes. Anyway, going back to anything else So, I that's curious Quentin Tarantino said this Woody Allen movie starring Jason Biggs Is like this thing that I should like Okay I talked at the beginning of the episode about Like, the tropes of Woody Allen mm-hmm. the, the New York typical, typically sort of streetscapes The mumbling dialogue Usually juxtaposing a great philosopher or a great writer once said To something that some deli owner or some cab driver said right so yeah. you know some sort of smart quip educated look at me I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm an intelligent writer mm-hmm. juxtaposed with some down to earth human wisdom mm-hmm. this movie is what people could sort of in their head when you think you know what a Woody Allen movie is that's what this movie is and when the theme of the movie or the, the, the punch card title of the movie is is like you know like anything else. It's like any other Woody Allen you could have seen before or, or after this. Is there's, there's nothing to make it stand out amongst the crowd, even as a loudly awful movie. It's just, it's just there. And that's not enough to, you know, <laughs> warrant my time, I think. And as much as there's actors in it that I like, and as much as, like, there's moments in the movie that I think are funny, where this sort of blooms, and you can see how maybe this could have been an interesting story, I'm just generally, largely left cold by it. To the point, when we did get to that stinger, and he said, you know, it's like anything else, I spitefully laughed, not with, no, but at, mm-hmm. the movie. Mm-hmm. Fuck you. And... One of the worst elements of this movie, and I hate to go back to what I've already said, is the character that Woody Allen himself is playing. I really do think, like, this guy who's supposed to be sort of dangerous and edgy and have this sort of, you know, fragile line in his, his mental sanity that, like, who knows what this guy could do next... And there's that scene where he bashes out the window in the car. And you can tell he barely has the strength to bash the window of the car. There's nothing threatening about Woody Allen. If Woody Allen was as mad at me about anything he's ever been in his life, I am not afraid of him. I'm just not afraid. That is stupid casting on his part. To cast himself in that role? No, it's just on its face dumb. You're not a tough guy, you're not scary, you don't have edge, Woody. Uh I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings, but it is a fucking fact. There's nothing really wrong with Jason Biggs, he is just doing his version of the Woody Allen delivery. But, again, much like the rest of the movie, there's nothing that draws attention to it, or there's nothing that says it's loudly awful. And then we have this problematic character of Christina Ricci who the only thing she seems to have going for her is that she's ridiculously fucking hot. Mm-hmm. And there's one scene in particular where she's in a tight white shirt and her mm-hmm. underwear through mm-hmm. this whole sequence yeah. where I was almost uncomfortable. Like, I, I'd yeah. never seen the movie before and I'd never seen really largely her in that context before. Is this really... Have you seen Black Sna- Snake Moan? Yeah, I, I guess... I Yeah, maybe I'd block that one out, but that's mm-hmm. another one where she's in her skivvies. Very lot, sexual, boy, yeah. yeah. But... This one's not necessarily the movie's fault. I have a similar thing with Drew Barrymore just because I watched her grow up in Hollywood. Yeah. I, it feels like she's my niece or something. Like, I shouldn't be looking at her in the, with this gaze. And she's a young face. Yeah. And, and the gaze of the movie on her is purely sexual hunger. And that's all she has to offer because as a human being, she's fucking awful. Like, I. Sociopathic. Yeah. Like, there's nothing good about her. And, like,. The fact that he still wants to be with her, the fact that he wants... It makes me like the Jason Biggs character less. Mm -hmm. It's not funny, it's not interesting, and it felt like it was two and a half fucking hours long. The most interesting thread to the movie, which is unearned, it's just because I have a soft spot for Danny DeVito, is this oh, yeah. agent character that he's maybe been too loyal to, that he's basically bullied into firing mm-hmm. by the Woody Allen character. For some reason, my heart went out to that character, even though I knew it was probably right to to, to sever ties. It was sort of heartbreaking to. You know, but it's just done in such an
1: over the top way. Like his reaction is exactly what. Jason Biggs' character has been afraid what was going to happen. Yeah. So it's like Biggs' worst nightmare is happening. But it's done such an over the top cartoonish way. Like nobody would react that way. Mm. Absolutely nobody. And not even for, and maybe they just thought, like, let DeVito riff and it's, there's, there's going to be some laughs from it. But I didn't get any sort of humor from that. But that
0: was the closest for me of like, there's a little bit of stakes mm-hmm. to that. They, they have a relationship that goes way back. He doesn't want to have this conflict, he's bullied into having this conflict. But yeah, those are two successful writers who are bitching about their lives, and they spend their entire time getting paid to do exactly what they want and having sex with beautiful women. I fucking did not like this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, I don't understand. I mean, uh, to be honest, I don't remember what the critical response to it was. Um, but if, if, if it's yeah, it certainly—I don't see a good angle of defense. Do you have one? No, for I
1: and I think. I, I was excited to see it because I watched uh, Roger Ebert, and I think by this point, yeah, definitely by this point, it was Richard Roper, who was his partner on the TV show. Right. And they really uh, over-praised it. Right. I thought, well, maybe there's, there's something more to this. Because I was expecting, you know, I would have just gone in with, okay, this will be an average three-star Woody Allen movie, and then I'll move on to, uh, and look forward to next year's and maybe a Sweden lowdown or something is going to show up here in one of these years. And it, it, because I had those expectations, I ended up, my first time seeing this, I have watched it three times, uh, first time I saw it, absolutely, yeah, I know, absolutely <laughs> hating it. Absolutely hating it. The second time I saw it is because of being uh, a completist and I have to have all of his movies and, <laughs> you really know, and it, 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 came, it came with a collection of Four movies. So I think this was his DreamWorks phase or whatever. Same reason I own the main sequels the, for some reason. It was the one that I was least excited to revisit, but I thought, well, I bought it, so I'm going to watch it. And I was like, maybe it was a little bit too hard. There's It's, it's whatever. Um, and then I watched it again, and I'm back to <laughs> <laughs> really, no, it's not a good movie. And uh, my, my, my thumb is, is firmly down on it. Um, one of the problems I, I found the first time, so try to go back to the first time I watched it. Is it's, it's Annie Hall Jr. It's pretty much the same but wasn't story Annie as Annie Hall, Hall. kind of a
0: goofy, lovable character.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, but it's just a man who just does not understand the woman he's with. Right. And yeah, I, I, I did not care about uh, those two at all. And I just got annoyed with their acting. I thought it was Christina Ricci and, and Jason Biggs to a certain extent, but more Ricci are terrific film actors and I thought they gave terrible performances. And I thought both of them were well suited to Woody Allen's dialogue. I thought was, everything about it was forced. The neurotic nature of uh, Richie's character and Bigg's character. Uh, I, I just could not get behind the acting. And if I don't care about either of those characters, this is gonna be a tough movie. And I keep wishing, oh, I wish I was watching Diane Keaton and Woody Allen in a movie instead of these two
0: it's another one of these movies i've said it before too where where like if we were in a different film like a a michael bay action movie Mm -hmm. and they were set in the living room and the parents were watching a woody allen type movie on the screen Mm -hmm. that they would have this excerpt with jason biggs doing his stuttering business Mm -hmm. to this really beautiful woman who was terrible for inexplicable reasons right but that would be the thing commenting on this idea of what we believe Woody Allen movies to be, but this is an actual Woody Allen joint. Yeah, it is. So. Yeah, it's
1: more like it is like that. Now I could argue I, I, we have an age appropriate relationship in here. Yeah, with these two. That's that's. It's fine. at least
0: not Woody Allen making out with Christina Ricci. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
1: Sorry. I just got a visual image of that. Well, no, and it's not oh, no. off the
0: table. Let's oh, be real; it could have God, happened. no, no,
1: no! Because by this point, Alan actually was had others had to convince him to be in the movie. He would given up on acting, and uh, and he's he's as critical, if not more critical, of this stuff than than we will be. Uh, I think there were others that talked him into appearing in another one of his films for this. And so he he just i put himself in a role which was totally different than what he had done before um before I get to to my take on on Alan's performance, where we might differ a little bit um I also want to mention stalker Channing stalker Channing so she's is in this yeah movie. i and i I've, I've watched it three times, and I always end up forgetting that DeVito was in the movie. <laughs> you forget Tanny DeVito, really? And and, and Stalker Channing. Stalker Channing shows up as Christina Rich's mother. Uh, her life's a train wreck, uh, much like Richie, if we see her in 30, 40 years, is going to look like this woman. And uh, she moves in, and she's bringing young men home and all of this. I kind of, this last time I watched it, I think I liked Stalker Channing's... Uh, performance a lot more. I think he she ha- gets Woody Allen's um, characters and dialogue more than maybe anybody in the film. Right. And a movie about that character to me might have been more interesting. Perhaps there would have had to be some other well, layers and levels. Movie's unofficial sequel, Blue Jasmine. <laughs> yeah, I mean there is a bit of a basically Blue Jasmine. You're right. You're right. Uh, Allen, I. I hated the performance the first time I saw it second time I was being kinder to everybody involved third time I saw it okay I don't like this movie I, I, I'm and i going on the record I do not like this movie I do not like the leads I like Stalker Channing Danny DeVito was not given anything interesting to do I guess he just worked on it because what he called and you answered the phone yeah, and Woody and comedians will support each other um but I started to kind of like Alan's performance but I was kind of Putting a little bit more of a modern look at it in the sense that there are these really eccentric uh extremists out there who do not look like are the our, the media portrayal of extremists. This guy's a public school teacher, but he's a gun nut. <laughs> nut or gun enthusiast, and uh and he is very much at war with the world. And so no it way. feels like, you know, unfortunately, I'm, I'm pointing to, like, when we hear about these uh, mass shootings in the United States, that it is somebody like this who would be behind one of those. Yeah. But so you, I agree with your point about, like, when he, he's doing the, there's famous stories of Jack Nicholson did this to a car when he got had a t- temper tantrum and all of that, where Alan just is not, not taking crap that. from these tough, these tough guys, but they still have to run away from, because... They see, you know, Woody Allen in the the fight with the human being, he's lashing out at an inanimate object to get back at these guys. He's not challenging these guys to a fight. Yeah,
0: but even if he was still meek and mild physically, Mm -hmm. I think you needed somebody that had a wild card thing to play. Yeah. Like that, like maybe he's not physically dangerous, but that he's crazy enough that mm-hmm. that will eclipse any other. You're scared enough what he might do that you just mm-hmm. stay with. There should be some danger to that character, I think. And but I why does but why does
1: Big's character, who is well, he obviously is not very good at developing relationships with people. But how is he not seeing how how crazy? this guy is so cuz he's some a brilliant of the laughs writer he's I, a brilliant writer yes, and that makes everything, everything else okay. okay i i i guess i, I got some amusement cuz i was desperate for some amusement and some laughs, <laughs> this time and I, I found myself laughing at some of the scenes with woody allen which i led me to think okay maybe i prejudged or misjudged it the first two times i i, I watched the movie i'm not going to Endorse. I endorse his performance in uh, in deconstructing Harry way, way, way more. But if I'm finding something semi-positive to say in a obviously negative review, yeah. I think Alan is not the worst. Okay. You are likely right. Miscast.
0: I'm basing this off my first viewing, and so maybe yeah. I, who's to say what I think five years from now if I bump into the movie again? I gotta say I like. My desire to revisit anything else. Oh is no, no, no! I know. No, I know. Like, there's know. a lot of Woody Allen that I haven't seen, and I will check those off the list before I come back and give it another. Yes, page. please do. I mean, this, it, this this may be one of his absolute worst films. You said something interesting when we were talking about deconstructing Harry that, like, that was the most honest that Woody Allen was going to be. Mm-hmm. A that infers that it's not completely <laughs> honest. But B, I think in this some way this is. In a film, I mean... In the film, but in some ways, anything else, at least of the Woody Allen movies that I've seen, I'm not going to say I've seen all of them, this is the film where he's the least honest with himself, at least for what works for him as an actor Mm -hmm. and what makes his film special and unique. It's like, you can use all of these pieces, you can use the New York, you can use the eccentricity. Uh, Those are the things that work for you, but you have to bring more than just the cast. And the... Embarrassed idea of a premise, not even a story, but a premise.
1: And uh, yeah, you're not a tough guy, so don't cast H- yourself. H- as H- a H- tough guy. maybe another. And this is just me speculating. <laughs> this is me speculating. And uh, so, please don't take this uh, as like this is a guess. I have. He really didn't want to act in this. DreamWorks is putting pressure that we need to see you in your movies um, to fulfill your contract. And he's looking at the script and he's like, what's the most ridiculous role for me to play? I play this, people are going to hate it, and they're never going to ask me to ask to act in one of my own movies again. Oh, I can't respect that. If you're going to yeah, self-sabotage... No, I, if it was true, if yeah. it was true, I If you're going to self-sabotage, know. self-sabotage,
0: don't subject me to it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: right. and I'm not sure that that's it, but I just... Uh, yeah, I, that's one... I've wrestled with the most because everything I you ever wanna know about sex I actually had a positive opinion of right from years and years ago when I first saw it. But this from the beginning I just have if there was a Woody Allen movie to avoid for years I've been saying anything else is the Woody Allen movie to avoid. So well,
0: if anybody ever asked me about this movie and I carry goddamn to you, no one ever Nobody's me, going to, no. I would just cheekily say, Well, you know, it's like anything else. <laughs> Oh, my God. Look at you. <laughs> your place is homey. Well, the flight was bumpy. The food was awful. I mean, you'd think first class. I-, I thought you were tapped out. I'm dead broke. Really, I mean, the government took everything. All I can say is you look great. Oh, uh, now who's lying? <laughs> <laughs> is there
1: anything you want that you don't have? Sweetheart, oh it's
0: beautiful. When your sister had all that money, she wanted nothing to do with you. Now that
1: she's broke, all of a sudden, she's moving in. <laughs>
0: she's not just broke. She's all screwed up. Cool
1: earth, you know? You me help.
0: Excuse me, are you talking to me? Well,
1: Ginger's told me all about you.
0: One minute you're on top of the world, the next, guy <laughs> turns out to be a crook. Well, how long are you planning on staying with Ginger? No one wants to get out of here as fast as I do. I'm sure this is a big come down from what you're used to. You'll be very happy to know that I lost every cent of my own money. Your husband was a slick operator. I was there a week. I knew the guy was hitting on a girlfriend. I, said, I I can't, I can't, right. I can't. <laughs> You choose losers because that's what you think you deserve and that's why you'll never have a better life.
1: Okay. She doesn't care about you. She's a phony. Can
0: you please not fight in here? Don't think I can take it. For some reason, my Xanax isn't kicking in. I heart Kate Blanchett so very much. Really I'm, so. Like, she's not... Not every movie that she's been in has been good, but it's no. been the very rare movie that can extinguish the talent of Kate Blanchett. She just... She's got it going on. She's uh, good in movies where we don't even see her face. Exactly. Hot fuzz. That's right. <laughs> uh, I, I was talking earlier in the podcast, I guess, about people in Hollywood who have been too famous for too long, who have had it too good for too long, and this sort of breeding bad things psychologically. I kind of feel like in a way the movie's addressing it this woman's not a famous person per se but in her own mind she is like she fucking has to be the brightest bulb in the room she needs to be the loudest voice and the most beautiful, alive, active presence in any given Mm -hmm. room and anything short of that is un-fucking-acceptable like she she's awful she is really, really difficult And because she's portrayed with such depth and nuance by Kate Blanchett, even though it's really hard to like her, she's never not fascinating to watch. Mm -hmm. I'm so grateful to Sally Hawkins, who plays her put-upon sister, for giving the movie some genuine warmth and heart Mm -hmm. in times because uh, I was talking about peripheral movies that reminded me of. Previously, I talked about Crumb. Do you know the Mike Lee movie, Naked? Yes. With David Thewlis walking down the streets of London talking to himself? Yes. Blue Jasmine. This is like the female version of that guy. She's just wandering around, not really talking to the people around her. It's all just a conversation with herself. It's all (laughs) spouting exposition to no one. It's
1: all her madness sort of being Mm -hmm. manifest. And Hawking's, interestingly, before this, now she's known for Shape of Water, of course. Uh, She was part of Mike Lee's ensemble. That's right. Happy-go-lucky was kind of her big break. Right.
0: That naked movie, just as far as it being about this guy who is so ugly and so difficult, but because the performance is so hypnotizing, you have Mm -hmm. to kind of go with it. I kind of feel like these movies hold hands in that way. They're they're very different movies, but I think you know what I'm saying. It's a great comparison. Um, (laughs) Yeah. She had uh, been married to this Alec Baldwin character, but they have lost everything. And now instead of living in a posh mansion, doing whatever she wants, whenever she wants, she's crashing on her sister's couch. But this sea change in her life has not changed her perspective on things at all. She looks down on everybody around her. She expects to be pampered and looked after. And largely she is. Mm-hmm. And the Part of the mystery is why do people put up with her? And another part of the mystery is like, is she going to be able to worm her way out of this cage of madness that she's put herself in? And I think the answer is no, but the movie is still not without warmth, and if, if not hopeful, it it's sort of hypnotizingly fascinating. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. uh, I would, strangely enough, watch a sequel to this movie just to see the further adventures of this crazy, unlikable bitch. <laughs> and that's... That is... I'm going to give a lot of credit to Kate Blanchett here. Mm-hmm. Everybody's good in the movie. Sally Hawkins is a good movie. I really like Bobby Haw- Cannavel in the movie. Yes, yeah. uh, like, the surprise out of nowhere, very strong performance from Andrew Dice Clay. Yes. But they're all blown the fuck off the screen. Mm-hmm. The movie belongs. Hawking's less. Yeah, Hawking's less. Yeah, she, but she, the movie belongs to Cate like
1: hawking got an Oscar nomination, and I was really happy about that, because it's tough to be... Um, I always have struggled with, how to put this, but straight man to the flashier character. And uh, she has moments which are great, and it's in her face. She's playing an American, but she's British. Uh, And uh, I I went in expecting a lot from Kate Blanchett the first time I saw this, but Hawkins is where I walked. I was like, wow. Wow, like she held her own with uh, Blanchett on, like, in the highest gear that Blanchett can go. That year, as soon as this movie... And it was fairly... I think it was a summer release. As soon as that movie came out, Kate Blanchett had the Oscar. It yeah. was like There would be four other nominees, uh, but Kate Blanchett yeah. had it won from the beginning. She won every single prize, deservedly so. And this movie works because of her. Yeah, well, and that's the... It's a huge thumbs-up review either
0: way, but that's the question I was going to sort of launch into to you. Does the credit here belong solely to Cate Blanchett in making the character so nuanced through her performance that we find her fascinating? Do we have Cate Blanchett more to thank than we do Woody Allen? Is this another one of those characters that if it was handled by a lesser actress, the whole movie doesn't work? Because I kind of suspect if... I I still hesitate to say I like her. I just find her so fascinating Mm -hmm. that I I keep watching her. But that's a fine line to walk. Because she... People just bend over backwards to be nice to her. And she all but spits in their face, (laughs) repeatedly, saying the most hurtful things she can think to say to the people who are
1: letting her basically live off of them like a (laughs) parasite. Pierre Sarsgaard is this... Man that she cons into... Yeah, but her. even he
0: seems to look at her like an acquisition, too. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to sympathize with his character completely.
1: Other than the fact he's, you know... He tries. He's been conned, and he... And he just, when he realizes it, it's um, it's horrible. Um, and some characters that appear to be kind of nice, sympathetic characters, Louis C.K., mm-hmm. uh, turn out to be, like, giant douchebags. This. Yeah. Yeah uh
0: and i don't know if that's a theme of the movie that maybe everybody in their own way is as awful as mm-hmm. this Kate Blanchett mm-hmm. character she just knows it is and she's sort of what? shouting it out there with a megaphone i am awful deal with me like carnaval or uh, how did you pronounce
1: it bob canavels Cannavel? Cannavel. yeah canavels uh like he's got a temper and he's somewhat abusive and if you look at this like it's he's an from... awful man but he is honest and he is way more genuine than she is than she is I think the only really truly uh, good character is the Sally Hawkins character in this. Um, so you're talking about credit. Uh, I'd say in any films and ensemble, everybody can sort of participate and enjoy its success, Alan included, and Blanchett. Uh, my my uh, review of this is not as positive okay. as you're making it out to be, uh, but it's I think they all need to credit Tennessee Williams. Oh, okay. Because this is a Streetcar Named Desire. If you look at this, this it, there are characters. He ripped off a Streetcar Named Desire. He added in stuff about uh, uh, Wall Street corruption with the Alc Baldwin character and all that to sort of explain some things here. Uh, but there are very specific allusions to a Streetcar Named Desire. Blanche DuBois thing? Yeah, she is Blanche DuBois throughout, who is miserable to deal with, goes and crashes in her sister's place uh you know the Stanley Kowalski character is the Canavell character she is um, depending on the kindness of strangers you know and uh and if we look at um if we look at the Peter Sarsgaard character uh again he's um uh, the Mitch character from A Street Current Desire so I had trouble getting behind the screenplay a bit I love the acting in it um and sometimes I feel like I'm maybe being a little bit too hard on it so to me it was kind of a really like the movie but I cannot love it because I feel like the blueprint was already set and uh, this I, again and uh, I feel like uh, Vivian Lee gave this great performance in the screen version of A Streetcar Named Desire uh, and Blanchette had that type of a character to play again in this context of San Francisco uh, and uh, she makes choices, uh, and it, the end is handled differently with the mental health instead of being carted off to an asylum. Uh, he, she's wandering the streets talking to herself, and we all Sitting know people in the city who are going around and you know, um, much like in naked, talking to themselves, and they have a history, and they have they had a family or they had some sort of a life that led up to this. I think that's what we're seeing instead. We'll just let people wander the streets of our cities. So I I was just distracted, and every time I'm I'm distracted by the points, which feel like exactly like a streetcar named Desire, with some other scenes added in there to 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 broaden the story, because they were able to shoot in other places. well as a there's result.
0: Some of the action's in New York, but most of it is in San Francisco. Yeah.
1: Some of the New York stuff I think was actually shot in San Francisco, I, I I again going to New York several times, I got distracted by some scenes with Al Baldwin on the street where I was like, that doesn't look like New York to me. Hmm. Um And you'd think that if anyone
0: would be a stickler about that, it would be it would be Woody Allen. Yeah. Um this character of Augie played by <laughs> Andrew Dice Clay. Yeah. Who's Strangely enough, his authenticity seems to somehow penetrate the Cape Blanchett character on a couple of occasions Mm -hmm. The performance seems to come out of nowhere. It's also sort of stunty casting, I guess like anybody would be Fighting to get a part in Woody Allen. So so why are you filling the spot with with Andrew Dice Clay? Two things I think he's right for this the part, Mm -hmm. but Maybe not for the reasons that Andrew Dice Clay himself would like to think of it. I saw him interviewed about it while the whole cast was being interviewed about the movie. And Mm -hmm. he said, you know, it was nice of Woody Allen to approach me and have me play against type. You know, usually I'm the cool guy. And in this movie, I'm kind of dumpy and a loser. Mm -hmm. I think he's cast because he's dumpy and he's a loser Mm -hmm. and he doesn't fucking know it. Mm -hmm. And it's
1: perfect. He just Perfect. has a little bit more heart and a little bit more r- morality than yeah. his, his image. Andrew Dice Clay himself has Trumpian levels of narcissism.
0: He, he has does. Kanye levels yes. of narcissism, he right? Does. And even today, even given this gift of a part in the Woody Allen mm-hmm. movie, he thinks he's playing against type mm-hmm. when he's playing exactly who he is. Yeah. So on one hand, I kind of like, congratulations, it's a good performance. But on another hand, it almost feels like a stunt. It's
1: like a joke that he got played. <laughs> it's like Woody's laughing about. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that's true, but Woody's has got laughing think, like he actually thinks this. Well, I, mean, uh, I I cast him for if he'd sucked in the movie, I'd say so, and he doesn't suck. No, he her. doesn't. No, uh, but it's just interesting.
0: It's sort of one of those strange bits of casting that you're like, okay, Steve Gutenberg's playing a serial killer.
1: Uh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think anybody, any of the actors the ensemble sucked no Uh, i think it was not a stretch for Alec baldwin to play the character that he plays but other than that i mean it's um as far as the connection to tennessee
0: williams i will confess that i completely missed it okay Uh, maybe if i watch the movie again i will feel like an idiot maybe
1: maybe i've tainted the movie for you this
0: is the first time i've seen the movie okay okay yeah i I bought a copy of the movie for the podcast So, so like i said i've i've I catch up with Woody Allen. I'm not there opening night, so I don't think he's he's got me that way. So maybe when I watch it again, I'll feel really stupid about missing that. But honestly, right over my head. I, I will confess, film critic failure. I didn't know if that if he was hanging that intentionally or if that's something that he was. It was like a loose remake. That's either information that I missed. But he got a
1: screenplay nomination for this. And so I just kept thinking, And for original screenplay, by the way, there's no acknowledgement of it. It just seems like But is the main beats ad- of the film yeah. are just too is close it to the adaptation of A Streetcar in
0: the same way that Everything You Wanted to Know About Sex was an adaptation of the novel? But that was, was an adapted book. screenplay. They, right. That was considered, you know, he credited this the work. This one's the original.
1: There's no mention of it at all, but I, I just... Or, uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou is supposedly
0: yes. the Iliad, but yeah. it's an original screenplay. It just has it, was, vague... it was nominated
1: for adapted screenplay. Oh, uh, they, you know, uh, again, whatever the awards category of business. Was I, was adapted
0: silly. or not, that was one of the more original screenplays we'd seen in a while, I would argue. But uh, yeah. you, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I do. <laughs> uh, so when I watch it again, I will look for that. But this time through, it was all about Kate. Mm-hmm. It's all about, him.
1: and it's a good place to be. <laughs> I mean, it's I, of of this list, it's, it's going to rank quite high. Yeah. But uh, I, I I really wish I could love it as much as the Everyone other else. ones that are going to rank higher for me. I like it a lot. Yeah, <laughs> good. You did it.
0: Иви пети, 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 иви пети,
1: иви пети, иви пети.
0: You know, we we didn't scrap that bad. I, no. I, I thought I was going to be saying gonna... <laughs> some hurtful things to you about your buddy Woody Allen. And again, uh, I respect Woody Allen while still dropping the caveat that I think a little bit much might be made of Woody Allen. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I respect the amount of films he makes. And anybody who makes that many films, there's going to be the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I mm-hmm. think that all are represented here. And so... for
1: some reason, he's the most honored screenwriter in the history of... Yeah, that film. does kind of... It's a movie a year. So, as you said, if we're making... We have the money to make a movie a year. Yeah. Hopefully, we'll get a if few nominations can do, or yeah.
0: wins. You get to make a movie a year. Any cast you want, shoot it anywhere. you What's want. What's extraordinary
1: right? about him, though, he's won four Academy Awards. He's never become a member of the Academy. Out a boy. <laughs> because people are like, why hasn't he been kicked out of the Academy? He was never a member of the Academy. He's never voted for the Academy Awards. And he has won all of these Academy Awards. Okay, well... I
0: wouldn't take his awards away from him. He doesn't want to be a member
1: of a club that wants him. Yes, That's
0: exactly (laughs) it. (laughs) Groucho Marx. What was your least favorite? And I'm pretty sure we're going to agree here, but what was your least favorite? We might be in
1: a different place, actually. Because I warmed up on one of these a little bit, but I'm still not recommending it. But everything you ever wanted to know about sex but were afraid to ask is number six for me. Because I just had such a miserable time watching it this I was trying really hard beyond Gene Wilder to find something good about it, and I couldn't. And to me, it's not re- even really a Woody Allen movie. I mean, it's a, an immature attempt, you know, uh, and it's really early on in it shows. I think he his filmmaking skills had improved, uh, but anything else is uh, not good. It was number five. It is not good. But I found a couple things to laugh at. Like, I actually laughed... With that movie, and I did not laugh with uh, with everything you ever want to know about sex. So okay. that's the difference for me. That's six and five. Number four, you know, it's such a sweet movie. I, I wish I could rank it a little bit higher, but um, the Purple Rose of Cairo, led by a terrific performance by by Jeff Daniels. Um, that
0: was the movie I thought we might fight on. This like I was going to say all these nice things and then say. But
1: and you were gonna throw your no.
0: <laughs> notes down on the ground and start no. throwing
1: fists. I'm 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 in the middle with it. It's whimsical. Sometimes Woody's whimsical movies are less memorable, impossible to hate though. But yeah, I, and I I would just say again, this might be another one where if you're not a Woody Allen fan, but you watch this, Allen doesn't act in it, uh, you might just enjoy the story. Yeah. Even if people said you know, Woody Allen didn't make this, and you just experiment with having people see it. They might enjoy it's it. It's quick and breezy, too. It's yeah. like 84 minutes. Yeah, it's, It doesn't overstay its welcome. No, it's it's about perfect. Uh, number three for me is Blue Jasmine, which might seem a little bit low, but I just keep getting distracted with, uh, and maybe it's in my own head, this Streetcar and Desire comparison. So am I going to credit Woody Allen with that, or am I going to credit Tennessee Williams for creating the blueprint for a, a very solid film led by... Undeniably, one of the greatest performances from a great actor, Kate yeah. Blanchett. So, um, I'm I'm with you on all of it. I just I'm a little bit a little bit more critical of the screenwriting in this case. Uh, Sweet and Lowdown is number two for me. It doesn't feel like a Woody Allen film, uh, but it it does subtly show off his directing ability. The faux documentary quality about it is is quite good. Uh, it is funny. This uh, strange marriage of uh, of Woody Allen and Sean Penn is effective, and Samantha Morton's performance. I, I just, and I don't know if I would get annoyed She's if I saw a mo- if I saw a movie just about that character or not. I'm a little bit of a sucker for these movies with uh, um, mute characters. I, I really love a movie called The Piano, where Holly Hunter gave this really powerful performance, not funny at all, but you know. Yeah. Um, so I, I really like that one. It. it the performances and everything about it, it's a solid film. It was number two for me. To me, the truest, very good, if not close to great uh, film from this list was Deconstructing Harry. So I was a little bit disappointed to hear that it's lost some esteem in your in your eyes. You make up some, you, you give some good points about it. I just take the movie in a very different way that this is a very, it's a full-on R-rated look at his life. He says horrible things. He treats people horribly. And that may be true of what Woody Allen has done in his personal life. There's no comment on anything to do with sexual abuse in there at all. It's just making a whole series of bad choices and living with the fact that you know that you're 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 flawed, but you're also called a genius in some circles and are celebrated and start to believe your own hype. Yeah. And I, I see that in the Harry character, but I take the ending in a different way than you do. Um, if not for one of the movies, I think we would have gone zero for six. Yeah, and, I, and I, I stuck to this list. I, I, I think I, I knew where we could have gone zero for six, but I. Uh,
0: I'm surprised, I guess, mainly about the bottom of your list. Mm-hmm. For me, the most unpleasant experience was anything else that just seemed endless to me. I don't know what's the running time on it, but like a lot of the other ones, even if they weren't working entirely, they didn't overstay their welcome. Yeah. Or at least with uh, everything you ever wanted to know about sex, it'd shift gears every 10 or 15 minutes. So if you didn't like one thing, you had the hope that, that with this next new dawning day that something was going to happen. Going into and this, I thought it was going to be number six. Yeah. And just
1: revisiting Yeah. Sex Anything there.
0: else kind of lost me right away and never won me back. I, I yeah. don't know... Again, I, mm-hmm. I'd like to say the day will come we'll give it another chance. And if fate dictates that I'm in a room and the TV's on and there it <laughs> yeah. is, I guess. But like,
1: You have a lot of movies to watch. I got a lot of but, movies to watch. Yeah, and, there and that's, more movies ahead of this one. I don't it, recommend it. It didn't work for me at all. No. Uh, and like I said, I
0: think in the review the only thing that worked for me and everything you ever wanted to know about sex was Gene Wilder. And I'm not even sure that it's that, that sketch was that funny. I just think it's that Gene Wilder is that funny. Mm -hmm. But I did think it managed to rest its way into fifth position. I guess it has echoes of the old wacky anything goes comedy of the early, late 60s, early 70s. -hmm. Woody Allen, that was the thing that first warmed me to him. So... I like, uh, well, I don't like it, but the reason it's in fifth place is for the movie I wanted it to be. But, like, yeah. honestly, yeah. the first few things that they, they show was a bunch of rabbits in the movie, and I was right away thinking about us. <laughs> Sorry, it took me out of the movie <laughs> right away. I was like, this is not, this is not where not my head show. should be at for this. <laughs> anyway, so, yes, number six, anything else? Number five, everything you ever wanted to know about sex, but we're afraid to la- ask. Number four, and again, I agree with you heartbreakingly, because there's a lot of good stuff to it, is Purple Rose. Another list,
1: it might have been
0: two or three, maybe. It's a completely benign, harmless, sweet-natured movie, impossible to hate. So I want to feel like it should be higher on the list. But like I said, there is something missing here, too. But worth your time. Uh, In third position, Deconstructing Harry. And when we sat down to do this list, I thought it was number one. Mm -hmm. Like, I went into this group thinking, Deacon, it'll be hard for me to see a movie that's going to, you know... To me, define what Woody Allen is that is most creative, you know. And I do. Like, I would never say to somebody, don't watch Deconstructing Harry. It's a good middle ground, is that the, it's semi serious, but it's got a lot of the crazy, goofy, you know, Jewish cannibal humor. <laughs> right? It has
1: all of, to me, all of the great stuff of Woody Allen in one movie, but he goes just a little bit more R, a little yeah. bit more edgy than most of his movies yeah. go. But um, as
0: the position of art as vindication for any kind of behavior is, is, a, is a tough pill, if that's what you believe the movie is saying. Uh, in second position, and second and first were tough, mm-hmm. second position I'm putting sweet and low down. Yep. Uh, and I liked it a lot. It, like, again, Sean, it's, when, when two huge celebrities sort of meet, usually one eats the other, mm-hmm. right? Like uh, Stanley Kubrick and Stephen King hubert kind of ate Stephen king in that scenario right in this case the two talents didn't eat each other you get the feeling like they might have tried there might be some tooth marks here and there Mm -hmm. but they didn't eat each other they 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 brought us a really interesting believable fake biopic yes and the fact that it's that it is a fake biopic in of itself is somewhat charming um and I, again, it almost feels this. This was tough because of the warmth, and even on top of the craziness of the Sean Penn's character, made me kind of feel like it should be number one because Blue Jasmine sitting at number one is kind of the bitterest pill of the whole bunch in a lot of ways, yeah. as far as like that character. Um, you were debating whether to give the praise to Woody Allen or to Tennessee Williams. I think you're overthinking it. Mm. Give the praise to Kate Blanchett.
1: Well, yes, but but. <laughs> If if she and she's a smart woman, if she's realizing what Alan is doing with this and that it's more Streetcar Named desire, she can go back and study what what Vivian Lee, you know, the well, capital E T tragedy. Streetcar on stage, you stage, know, so she's yeah, got her own. She, she knows how to, and maybe she brought some of that in there too. Um, again, I'm not. I, I will not say anything against Kate uh, Blanchett here. I mean, she took a, a meaty role, and she, you know she did everything that she could with it and more Um, and so yeah she gets the praise I just feel like all of Sweet uh, and Lowdown if you're comparing those two movies I can understand your criticisms of uh, Deconstructing Harry but if it's between those two movies as a whole which one is a bigger stretch for Woody Allen as a director as a screenwriter we have never seen uh, before or since him try something quite like this and uh, it's a really unique entry in his canon whereas I I think some things are familiar and not just because of the Tennessee Williams thing. I'm not sure he stretched himself as a director with Blue Jasmine at all but it's it's just it's based it's all about Cate Blanchett with a great supporting performance by Sally Hawkins and a solid cast around them Um, but if we didn't have those elements I think it would be mediocre to bad I will revisit Blue Jasmine in mm-hmm. a way that I really
0: doubt I'll ever revisit anything yeah, else. Um, I understand and that. I, 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 I not even Sweet and Lowdown? See, I might see more or less... Uh, I, I, I'd watch Sweet and Lowdown again, maybe yeah. not soon, but... I, yeah. I, I, Someday. I, like, I wouldn't I'd duck it or anything. Yeah. Um, <coughs> it had the benefit of newness to me. Yeah. Like, uh, I really, really liked Sweet and Lowdown back in the day when I first saw it, too. Uh, but that was, what, 90, 99 or something? 99, Yeah. yeah. So, a while back now. CBR yeah, more than twenty years. Yeah. So, <clears throat> Blue Jasmine was a fresh intake to me, and sometimes that gives it a little bit more pop, Could a little be. bit more wow, wow factor. And I just, as I started the review with, I got a big feels
1: for <laughs> for yes. Kate
0: Blanchett. So, like,
1: she's it, the winner in the Woody Allen show, yeah. really.
0: Yeah, um, I, I'm a big fan of hers, and and so. Who knows? Maybe if we did this... Not to, you know, make myself... Uh, my reviews don't really matter. If I did these same reviews five years from now, I'd probably have a different opinion. Don't don't take my, my opinion seriously, podcast mm-hmm. listeners. No. Right now, today, that was the movie that had the most wow factor to me. But... uh Who knows how things will age?
1: I struggled with the bottom and a little bit with the top. This was a tough list for whatever reason for me.
0: But we agreed on the purple rose of Cairo. We did fourth place. (laughs) Goodness. (laughs) Well, I don't think anyone needs to be bandaged up. No one's bruised. No No. one's. No one's hurting. So, thank you for being here once again. Thank you for having me, and
1: thank you for agreeing to do this show which is quite out of the usual
0: no absolutely and i look forward to being on your podcast yeah uh, i'm excited about that yeah we'll we'll keep on promoting your podcast on on this show and uh you could feel free to mention rank and review on. i i have been yeah (laughs) yeah and uh yeah next time maybe not Woody allen but we'll, we'll figure something yeah There it was. That is our take on six of the over 50 Woody Allen films that there are to choose from. So even this was just an appetizer to the just vast work that the man has done. But what do you guys think? Was I too unkind? Was I too kind? Is Woody Allen overrated, underrated? Is he right where he should be? Let me know by writing me at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com please tell a friend about the show that really does help to spread the word about the podcast and uh, thank you guys so much for listening I hope you continue listening I'll be back in two weeks with a collection of universal classic creatures being reviewed by yours truly and friend of the show G thank you so much you guys we'll talk to you soon